This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's do this. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for a Thursday afternoon, getting into the month of September and heading into Labor Day weekend. I'm Andrew Patterson, along with the CTO, Michael Remus, and uh, got a great show today. We are going to talk CFL right off the top. We're also going to get into our good friend, Murata Tesha's Jets fan poll, which is up right now at The Athletic. Talk about a couple signings today in the National Hockey League. And then we're going to look ahead to next week's NFL kickoff with Matt Verderam from Fansided. Uh, and then Travis Yost of TSN.ca is going to pop on the program. Travis always has very interesting takes and viewpoints on many topics in hockey. And he certainly has one on the Yasperi Kokkiniemi offer sheet. So we'll discuss his latest piece at TSN.ca. Get some thoughts on a couple signings that happened today in the National Hockey League, as well as the Svechnikov and Couturier deals from last week. Um, and, you know, get his thoughts on the remaining RFAs that are still out there in the National Hockey League right now. Um, we are also going to get to a big soccer match for Canada coming up tonight as they try to qualify for the World Cup. And, of course, hit the cool bet lines as well. And uh, we'll get right to it with the latest from Bomber Practice. So, as always, we kick things off with a big thank you to our family of sponsors, including our newest sponsor, Manitoba Battery Distributors, over on Logan Avenue. I'll tell you more about Manitoba Battery. Had a great time beating Donnie at the guys down at the shop yesterday. Uh, of course, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend Country Club, and of course, our betting partner at Cool Bet Canada. Well, here we are Thursday afternoon. Tomorrow, we'll have a big show. Dustin Nielsen of TSN, who will be calling the game from Regina and then calling the Banjo Bowl coming up next week is going to join me. Of course, Dustin, also my partner on the lock shop. And as we mentioned yesterday, going to be getting Dusty in town myself and doing a special, a live taping of the lock shop next Friday night. We'll announce the location potentially tomorrow, probably Monday. Uh, we'll try and make it in a central area. So for Banjo Bowl weekend, NFL kickoff, we've got the, the big game between the Bucks and Cowboys Thursday night. We'll get the gang together on a little bit of a de facto WST meetup, I hope. And then, of course, the Banjo Bowl on Saturday and then NFL Sunday coming up uh, a week from this Sunday. But before we get to next weekend, we got to get to this weekend. And that, of course, is the Labor Day Classic between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Interested to know, while I welcome everybody in the YouTube chat... Uh, how many of uh, our WST crew is heading out to Regina this year? Um, and and if you're not, do you normally go? Uh, interested to see uh, and hear some people's travel plans as to whether they're going. I did talk to a lot of people at the game last Sunday that were uh, they were back all in for uh, a weekend in Regina. Um, so we will get to that coming up a little later on. Shout out to everybody in chat. Great to see you. Kenny's water bottle here. Uh, just a big shout out to the entire AWO. Uh, as well as there's Dallas, uh, Bardo's here. Uh, you've got to book Westwood for a Bangible game show. We will reach out to Westy, see what he's doing. He's very busy right now, though. We'll see whether the time works out. Would absolutely love to have Westy on. The uh, What a classic he is. And uh, and the man that coined the phrase Bangible and gave us this great weekend coming off Labor Day weekend. Let's get right to it and welcome in the CTO of Winnipeg Sports Talk, the one and only Michael Remus. Remo, 
Thursday afternoon, big weekend coming up. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm feeling great, Huss. Uh, counting down until uh, the weekend, I guess. Long weekend, Monday off, and also CFL, uh, big weekend. Bombers, Rough Riders, Bombers uh, continuing to practice ahead of that. So uh, it's an it's exciting time. September's here. I see uh, on social media, it's alerted me that one month until the Jets' first preseason game. So, I mean, it's been nice outside, although today a bit overcast, but... We're closer to NHL hockey. I'm going to start doing some like season previews or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can tell you, uh, I don't know about you, but I am just ready to get into this weekend. I'm ready to move into NFL season. I'm ready to talk for Bombers, Riders, back-to-back -back games. And I am absolutely ready to get the uh, Winnipeg Jets back on the ice. Speaking of back on the ice, give a shout out. We had Brian Munns on the program yesterday. Uh, all the ice prospects on the ice today at uh, presumably at the rink where they're getting everything going with Winnipeg ice training camp. Uh, junior hockey always gets going a little bit earlier than uh, than the pros do. And as we talked to Brian yesterday, he's fired up to get back on the mic calling ice games this year. And uh, certainly all those young men that, you know, were only able to, in the best case scenario, play 24 games last year, looking to get back to some sense of normalcy, uh, back to a regular season and back to continuing all of their hockey dreams. Uh, but Remo, let's talk Bombers right off the bat. Oh, and by the way, we'll also kind of keep tabs on a situation. Winnipeg Police today uh, announced that, you know, right about now they're uh, holding a press conference um, and I, it was a strangely worded release, but uh, on a historic sexual assault case involving uh, a minor hockey coach. Now, immediately, I think many people's um, thoughts turn to Graham James, whether there's more information on that. I'm not sure, but that is something we'll we'll pay attention to throughout the afternoon. Uh, let's get Remus in here, though, and uh, get ready for the uh Banjo Bowl, well, sorry, Labor Day Classic first. We got to get on the road to Regina first before we host the Riders back here in Winnipeg at IG Field for the Banjo Bowl. Uh, but some great news today from Bomber Practice, Reem, and we'll get more clarity probably tomorrow on Nick Dembski's availability for the big game. Um, but the Bomber receiver, slot back, do everything piece on offense, back out there in pra on practice today. Uh, he's been nursing a hip, we believe, uh, out for the last couple weeks what a huge boost it would be to have the former Rough Rider back in blue and gold for the game on the weekend. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, Nick Dembski, I, I agree with you. He does everything. He can run the ball. You know, he can. you can throw to him deep. You can throw short routes. He can use his uh, elusiveness to make plays. I mean, he's a big part of the offense and just another one of, I think, the great stable of receivers this team has. I, I know, um, you know, they got Darvin Adams. He's, he's healthy. Kenny Lawler and Rasheed Bailey. And you add Dembski in. Um, and possibly a name in Roosevelt. But I think we're waiting on Dembski right now. He is back and practicing. You said hip. Um, so I, that's, a, that's a name to watch. We'll wait and see. I don't know what his salary is for fantasy or anything, but, you know, he's always a, a threat, I think, for a big play. You immediately think of his uh, draft of salary and how he might fit into the lineup for uh, for the upcoming weekend. Yeah, I, I haven't what I haven't looked at uh, anything for DraftKings CFL, but yes, it always any time for CFL it's a consideration. <laughs> By the way, shout out to everyone that filled the contest. Uh, get your your lineups ready. I believe uh, things get going tomorrow night and then uh, full weekend of what's always always a great weekend. Two games on Monday. The annual Battle of Alberta and the annual Ticats-Argos game. And, of course, Sunday afternoon. Not technically Labor Day, but it is the Labor Day Classic. A 5 o'clock start 
for the Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, the addition, uh, the potential reinsertion of Nick Dembski. Uh, we've talked a lot about Naaman Roosevelt and how he's coming in. I mean, from the fact of the matter is he doesn't seem to be practicing today. I think it's highly unlikely that they put him in, barring some injuries or other players not being available. But I will say, Remus, that Nick Dembski in the lineup allows Buck Pierce to do so many different things. You saw some of those plays in the game on Sunday where they were running Kenny Lawler or Rashid Bailey through the backfield um, as somewhat of a decoy. And that's exactly what it was. When Dembski does that, you know, the defense really has to respect it because we've seen him take those runs and, you know, uh, basically operate like a running back, which he really was through his incredible high school career and for uh, a good portion of his time with the U of M Bisons. So, you know, having that piece in there, I think not only helps Zach Caleros and the passing game, but it also adds a whole nother di- dimension to the bomber running game, which you th- you know that they'll want to have at full capacity going up against a tough rider defense in a very hostile environment on the weekend. Yeah, I agree. And Dembski, I mean, he's kind of your, your, in this offense, I'd say he's more of your underneath guy, your gadget play guy. And, you know, Kenny Lawler and Rashid Bailey are the guys who are going to stretch the field. So I do think he is a big part of the offense. I don't want to say it's like the reason why they've kind of struggled to get going the last couple of games, but he hasn't been in there. And they've said after each game, you know, they could have been better. They could have been more consistent. I think having him back in there would definitely be a boost. So again, we'll, we'll wait and see what they say after, but I mean, practicing, I think that's good news. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So listen, we'll keep an eye out on uh, anything that uh, some of the beat writers, uh, Ed Tate, have for coming out of Blue Bomber practice. I think the uh, lineup will be a little more clear tomorrow after the team finishes up the uh, the day of practice. Then, of course, you got to walk through and a travel day out to Regina on Saturday. And that drive out to Regina is always interesting. I'm not sure exactly when the Bombers will be going or how they'll be traveling. Uh, but anyone that's made the pilgrimage Five hours west on Labor Day weekend knows that Highway 1 is full of blue and gold. And uh, more often than not, it's been a kind of quiet, hungover drive back the following Monday. Uh, But of course, the Bombers have spoiled the party in the last two playoff games at Mosaic Stadium between these two clubs. Uh, And it really does set up to be an awesome matchup between these two teams when you consider the fact that, you know, the Riders are undefeated, the Bombers are three and one. I mean, the thing that sticks out about this game, Reem, is that often you'd have one team doing well. I can't remember the last time both teams were right there knocking on the door for first place, albeit a much earlier part of the season, considering we've lost four games this year. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been the Bombers have been not great and the Riders have been good or vice versa. So it's interesting hearing both teams confident. Andrew Harris, we want to shut all these uh, Ryder fans up. And I think Ed Gainey's, oh, we love trying to beat the Bombers. So it is a big rivalry. The players know it. The fans definitely know it. And you know it's one of the best crowds of the year uh, for the Banjo Bowl. And, uh, I mean, it's a bit earlier in the season than normal. I mean, usually it's like, okay, if you're not in the playoff spot Labor Day, well, then you're not going to be in a playoff spot come November. And now we're in week five. I think a lot to be decided. I mean, depending on who you ask us, the power poll or the power rankings, the Riders might be number one, but who we talked to Justin Dunk, who's like, you know, the Riders haven't really played anyone good. Meanwhile, the Bombers have played the Argos twice, who might be the third best team in the league. And they did beat uh, Calgary, you know, took a crazy uh, finish to do it against a, a rookie quarterback. But you know they're going to come out. Maybe it's like a look-ahead game. They're coming out, looking ahead to Saskatchewan here for two games. 
Well, uh, speaking of uh, rookie quarterbacks, of course, Jake Mayer's in uh, out at Calgary Stampeders practice. But lo and behold, so was Bo Levi Mitchell today, Reem. Very interesting tweets from uh, Danny Austin today. Bo Levi Mitchell is in full uniform with pads at this morning's Stampeders practice. Um, and then uh, a little later on, following it up with the fact that uh, Bo Levi Mitchell currently taking reps with the group the quarterbacks rotating through with the first-team receivers. Uh, so to quote Danny, if you're looking for answers about who's starting and who you've been following this team long enough, you know you're probably not getting them today. Um, Dave Dickinson, here's another great one from Danny. Dave Dickinson has in his power to do the funniest thing possible and just start Michael O'Connor on Monday. He won't, to be clear. But uh, a little bit of intrigue on the Calgary side of things. And as we well know, a ton of intrigue as to what is going on with the Edmonton Elks as they try to get back on the field uh, and get ready to play a football game after being shut down for more than a week due to that COVID outbreak. Yeah, and uh, someone asked, uh, sorry, not someone, Remus's mute button asks, isn't Bo on the six-game IL? I think they didn't. They, I think they moved him off today and put him in uh, practice. You know, we probably heard the show earlier this week when we're like, you know, Jake Mayer could be a starting quarterback in this league. And we're like, Jake Mayer, Ottawa should trade for him. And Jake Mayer, I mean, <laughs> he's a top quarterback making minimum salary. Uh, this guy's awesome. So I guess Bo must have heard the show and he's like, crap, I got to put my pads on and get back in. I mean, I I mean, he had a broken leg. Huss. Like, did he have a broken leg? Did he not have a broken leg? I mean, he's back. Well, like barely he had a broken leg three weeks. I don't know. Maybe that was that just like him sucking, and they're like, "Oh no, he had a he had a broken leg. That's why he was so terrible." <laughs> tough start, tough start. And they just the put season. and they just put him on the IL for just too much rest after not playing for a year. Well, I'll uh, tell you what, Lapo's probably salivating to your point, watching what Jake Mayer's doing right now. There's a lot of talk about you know is Matt Nichols going to be the guy going out for Ottawa this week against Montreal? But as we talked about yesterday, they don't have much behind him. I mean, Dominic Davis was a backup here in Winnipeg, played sparingly, didn't do much when he got in. I, I just don't think that they have the personnel right now in Ottawa, and that's a big issue for Lapo uh, as they try to get back into the swing of things after that miracle win in week one and a couple of really disappointing performances since then. Um, so ooh, tomorrow we'll have lots on Labor Day weekend, and as I mentioned, Dustin Nielsen, who will be calling the Bomber-Rider game is going to join us on the program tomorrow as he heads out to Regina to get ready to oh. uh, to do it. Um, Remo, let's quickly touch on a couple hockey signings today. Yeah. We'll probably save the Jets fan poll for after Travis Yost today. Um, but a big signing last night in the National Hockey League, Colton Pareko, the big Blues defenseman, inks an eight-year extension to stay in St. Louis. $52 million, a $6.5 million AAV. Uh, and when you think about a couple of the defensemen that have moved on in Alex Petrangelo last year, Vince Dunn this year in the expansion draft, uh, Colton Pareko, a big part going forward. And uh, certainly Doug Armstrong did not want to let their big blue liner go. Uh, pretty fair deal, though, when you think of we've seen a lot of Colton Pareko over the course of his career here in the Central Division in Winnipeg. Um, tell you what, I don't mind that investment getting Colton Pareko on the back end for another eight years. Big, mean, can score, huge shot. Um, this is a guy, and I think, you know, it makes sense for the security for the player, but from a St. Louis perspective, when you see the money that's been doled out to defensemen over the course of this summer to get him on a max term at that number, thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah. The only concern about that deal would be he's, I don't think the AAV is bad 6.5, but the eight years, that's a lot of years for a guy who plays tough, um, heavy minutes. 
I think he he broke out. It seemed really strong earlier on, and maybe he's kind of tapered off a bit. Um, what twenty? Yeah, twenty eight years old. So he's got one more. He's got this year left. He'll be twenty nine, and then eight years. It was taking him to thirty seven. I mean, you see these deals um, go into the late thirties for a guy who you know who plays his style, and you know maybe in the last couple of years it might be a bit of an bit of an overpay. But look, they want to keep their guy and. Um, this seems like the AV to me seems seems fair. I, I will I will agree with that. Yeah, you know it's funny you mentioned that. I thought maybe Perico was a year or two younger than that. Um, I know I was I was surprised. In, you know, but you know what? He was a college player, so when he came in, I'm pretty sure he was starting in the NHL at around 23 or 24 years. And I remember that season. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere um, and then became a mainstay on the St. Louis Blue Line. So. Uh, Pareko gets his extension. Uh, we'll be seeing a lot of Colton Pareko for the next eight years in these Jets-Blues matchups in the Central Division. But a couple other deals today. Casey Middlestat in Buffalo gets $2.5 million on a three-year extension. Um, you know, Middlestat famously was uh, incredibly out of shape. He just didn't want to go play at a high level, wanted to go back. And, you know, the, some people questioned his dedication to the game because he wanted to play high school hockey with his buddies and, uh, famously, I don't think he could do one pull up at the uh, at the uh, the training session or the uh, the draft combine is the word I'm looking for. But a very very talented offensive player. Bottom line is though, hasn't done much so far in the National Hockey League, and that's you can say that about a lot of the uh, the Buffalo Sabres prospects. But as a high first round pick, they certainly do uh, do still think that they've got a lot to get out of Casey Middlestat. So um, he's signed to a three-year deal. Kind of surprised at the amount that he got, but uh, need to say Buffalo right now, especially with the Jack Eichel situation, needs to keep all their players they can and see what they can do. But the real interesting one today, what was the Joel Farabee deal in Philadelphia? $30 million over six years a $5 million AAV for a young man that just scored 20 goals in 55 games in his sophomore season as an NHLer. Yeah, these are pretty interesting. The middle stat one, um, I was like, what did he get? Like a million bucks? But he got 2.5. And you said, and that was my thought. I'm like, oh, that seems high for him. But I mean, his numbers last year, maybe not earth shattering, 22 points in 41 games. But if you look how he performed on their team, Huss, and what he means to the Buffalo team, as you said, they need to keep players. He was fourth on the team in points behind <laughs> Reinhardt, who's gone, uh, Victor Olofsson, and Rasmus Delaney. I mean, he had more points than Taylor Hall and, you know, Four more games, he had three more points. But in goals, uh, again, he was third on the team in goals. And who was first? Sam Reinhardt. And he's gone. So they need, uh, Casey Middle said, they need bodies on the ice. So 2.5 million. I mean, hey, he had three more goals than Jeff Skinner in less ga- in 12 less games. And uh, what's Jeff Skinner making? Like 9 million? Something, something stupid for a lot more oh, years? So, one of the worst <laughs> contracts in the history and, of the National yeah, Hockey League. And, and Joel Farabee... I was interested. I mean, we didn't really get to see him because we were just focused on the Canadian teams. But, I mean, this guy had a pretty uh, pretty good season. I texted Ruicki, and he was fired up about the deal. I mean, Farabee, 21 years old. Um, he had 20 goals last year in 55 games. You know, 35 goal pace for 82, 38 points. He's, Ruicki's like, oh, yeah, strong defensive player. So I think this is a move for them where they see, hey, this guy's 21 years old. Uh, we see upside. Let's lock him up now for a long-term deal so we're not dealing with all this RFA crap going forward where you know, you're going year to year with guys. And again, he's a what, 14th overall pick in 2018. And they're, this is what you do. You try to get your young guys locked up to long-term deals and maybe slightly 
maybe it's the first couple of years might be uh, you know market value, but I think could in the you know by the end end up being a value contract for them. So uh, well, I think this is well done here by the Flyers. Yeah, uh, Remus' mute button says Skinner did score 40 goals before that contract. He did. He did. And had him somewhat over a barrel and got his, uh, got his, what? secured the bag, as you could say, these days. <laughs> um, listen, nine years by $8 million, or nine, sorry, eight years, nine million bucks, and then completely disappeared, basically, once he signed it. And now Eichel's gone. I mean, they really thought that that could be their one-two punch for a long time going forward. Um, and it's just sort of a, a, another example of um, some would say mismanagement. Some would say bad luck. Some would say just the results not being there despite the best intentions. Bottom line is it's going to be a long, long season for the Buffalo Sabres going forward. That Skinner contract is about as uh, immovable as any in the National Hockey League. And um, but on a positive note, they do have a young player in Casey Middlestat that I think definitely has a lot of room to grow, has a lot of great talent. You know, James Ilstra said, Reem, that uh, it, when I was talking about the fact that he couldn't do the pull-up or whatever at the Combine, sounds like Phil Kessel. Did you see the report today about Ke- uh, Clayton Keller talking about what a good athlete Kessel is? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> Clayton Keller said that Phil Kessel is one inch taller than he is, and Keller's at 5'10", so he's at 5'11". I think Kessel's listed at six feet but the the money line of the entire article was the fact that Keller disclosed that Phil Kessel can slam dunk a basketball. Really? I was thought, but I guess when you think about the legs and the power of mm-hmm. hockey players, I guess we maybe shouldn't be that surprised. Although I'd do anything to see video of uh, Air Phil going up and throwing it down on a ten foot rim. Yeah, you know that's getting a lot of uh, replays on TikTok or. Instagram reels if it's Phil dunking a ball. I mean, you know, we showed some videos of like bombers. Um, who was the guy that we their draft pick dunking a ball? Wasn't he O lineman? Remember? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That guy was enormous. (laughs) The name escapes me right now, but that was incredible. Yeah, their first rounder, the guy that went back to uh, back to school last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kelsey's a good golfer too. Apparently, he's a he's a very excellent, well rounded athlete despite the fact that he's been besmirched as a, a hot dog connoisseur more than a two-time Stanley Cup champion and a regular 30-goal scorer in the NHL. I mean, he plays in the NHL. He's scored a lot of goals. He's won championships. He's obviously a pretty good athlete, but sometimes it does amaze you when you see a guy like that and you're like, this guy plays hockey? And yeah, he's pretty damn good. So he's obviously must be good at other sports too. Usually that's how it works. No doubt about it. Listen, we're expecting Matt Verderam from Fansided to pop in uh, for uh, just a minute. Uh, meanwhile, while I do that, I want to officially welcome our newest sponsor, Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery to uh, the Winnipeg Sports Talk family. As I mentioned off the top of the show, went down for uh, to, to meet Donnie and the gang, uh, the maestro, Curly. Best thing about the place, the nicknames. I mean, this is absolutely my kind of spot. Uh, but, you know, got a tour around and found it a little bit more. This is the spot in Winnipeg to give you great batteries at the lowest prices, period. Don't bother wasting your time going to Costco. You give the guys at Manitoba Battery a call and uh, they'll not only will they have one ready for you at the lowest price, but they'll have it delivered to you anywhere in the city. You order by 2 p.m. You'll get it that day. Uh, 
they do have batteries for everything, though. I mean, automotive right now is the focus as we get into the cold part of the year. But just so you know, I mean, industrial batteries, farm, power sports, quads, sea dudes, sleds, uh, UPS backup supply batteries, MediChair batteries. I mean, they really do have it all. But for most of our listeners who are driving, getting ready to get into the uh, into the winter. Uh, if you are in the need for a battery, don't bother going anywhere. Hit them up, 783-8787. Uh, incredible service delivered right to your door um, at a great, great price. And by the way, they do have a September promo as well. Uh, many of you, if you have a summer car or a boat um, that you're putting away, it's a $20 maintainer for your battery or summer car. Basically charges it through the winter, making sure that you are good to go immediately come spring. So find them online, manitobabattery.com. You can give them a call at 783-8787. They're at 1026 Logan Welcome to the Winnipeg Sports Talk family, Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery. Uh, of course, a big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. If you are heading out to the Labor Day Classic in Regina, pop into Royal before you go. Great selection of Blue Bomber merchandise to make sure that you are repping the right colors when we invade enemy territory on the weekend. And while you're there... Um, you can check out all the NHL gear, tons of jet stuff for the upcoming season. And of course, NFL kickoff is next week. They've got you covered there as well. Tons of bikes, camping equipment. If you're still thinking about maxing out a little bit more of summer. And of course, with hockey just around the season, they are the hockey superstore in the city of Winnipeg. 750 Pemina Highway, Royal Sports, longtime sponsors of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. And a big shout out to Nick and Nikki, the Nick and Nikki DQ Group, DQ Niverville. DQ Northgate, DQ Polar Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Um, great time to go get a blizzard, maybe a burger. And of course, if you're having an event, um, be the hero. Show up with the DQ cake. Hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get you hooked up and you can pop by quick and easy. And speaking of burgers and Nick, uh, Nick is already posting a ton of the burgers from Burger Week. I think we may have to make a special invite to uh, Nick at some point next week as one of the burger connoisseurs of the uh, Winnipeg Le Burger Week, which is officially underway right now. All right, uh, let's get to it. Let's talk a little NFL. Travis Yost to come, more on the NHL offseason, the Cockney offer sheet, and much more. Uh, but it is a great pleasure as we get ready for NFL kickoff one week from today to welcome in Matt Verderam, covering the Chiefs in the National Football League for Fansided. Matt, what's going on? It's great to have you back in the program. You know, there's so much I want to get to with you, but we may as well start with the team that you cover most closely. And I know I'm going to get the gears because everyone knows I'm a huge Chiefs fan. Uh, let's talk about the offseason. Uh, it's been a long offseason for a lot of Chiefs fans, considering the way that the team got worked in the Super Bowl, much to the uh, shock of so many uh, of us. Um, I mean, you cover the entire National Football League uh, from a national basis, but I know you know this team very well. I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the AFC champs. Uh, what do you make of the offseason of uh, Brett Veach and Andy Reid and uh, really a complete makeover of the Chiefs offensive line, which was so problematic in the championship game? Well, I think it's where they had to start. Uh, if you listen to general manager Brett Veach throughout the offseason, whenever he spoke publicly, he spoke about the fact, look, we, we got our tails kicked up front. And we can't win games like that. We can't put Patrick Mahomes in situations like that. And so um, I'm not surprised at all that they were really aggressive with that. Um, you know, they took a couple swings in the draft and they they appear to have hit a couple home runs 
both with Creed Humphrey in the second round, center at Oklahoma, and Trey Smith, who's a guy who, you know, I, I report on, did a lot of work on. You know, he comes out of Tennessee. He was the number one recruit coming out of high school in, in the United States. And that, that's that's incredible for a guard. And then, you know, Tennessee had some blood clotting issues as a sophomore, ended his year early. He came back and played after that and, and ensuing years. But a lot of teams have taken him off their board. And the Chiefs really had a conversation during the fifth round with Brett Veach, Clark Hunt, some of their medical personnel about how do we feel? Can we take this guy? Medical team gave him the go-ahead. Veach ends up pulling the trigger. They take him in the sixth round, very end of the sixth round. And now he's he's been dominant. So between those guys on that side of the line, you have Joe Tooney who comes in, highest paid interior offensive lineman in history. And then they traded for Orlando Brown, which I think shocked a lot of people. I think even Kansas City was a little surprised. The team itself, they were able to get him. Uh, but in the end, five new starters, three rookies at center, right guard, and right tackle. They've looked great in preseason. Kansas City feels really good about it. And I think if that if that line holds up, they're going to have a very, very explosive offense. You know, the the Brown trade, you nailed it. I mean, I was absolutely stunned. I was all fired up for the draft to see, you know, what they might be able to do. I did not see in advance of the draft getting a guy that was clearly in a level above for a team that's contending right now, any of the players come into the draft. Um, how did it all come to be? And I, I will tell folks, check Matt's Twitter, a great pin tweet on the entire offseason for the Chiefs. But let's talk a little bit because you make a great point that with the way that that worked out and those picks change, you could have two or maybe three players on the Chiefs that could have been Baltimore Ravens this season. Yeah, so you're right. I, I did write about it extensively in this feature I wrote over on Fanside. It is my pin tweet. I, I, it's one that's rated a week before the draft commenced. And so essentially what happened was you know, the, the Chiefs kept checking in. They were looking at all the rookie tackles coming out. There was obviously a half dozen or so that were going to be first-round picks or had first-round grades. But there was some concern about medical around the league on some of these guys. And you see, unfortunately, with Tevin Jenkins, a guy who some people thought would go first round. He went early second to Chicago, now dealing with the back injury. He had some back injuries in college. I think for Kansas City, it just became a, a, a point of contention. They felt nervous about some of the medicals. They said, look, if we can go get a guy, let's do it. Orlando Brown was available. And they went back and forth for about two weeks with the Ravens on what is it going to cost? What is the right pick swap? And there were a lot of picks involved. And in the end, the Chiefs sent their first round pick over. Baltimore included its second round pick. And then there was some late round maneuvering as well. But the, the second round, they're going to Kansas City's key. Because when they got to the draft, the Ravens, from my reporting, were really interested in Creed Humphrey. They would have been picking a couple spots before the Chiefs' second-round pick, which came in at 63 overall. The, the Ravens didn't have their pick anymore, and the Chiefs ended up taking Creed Humphrey. If Brown doesn't get traded to Kansas City, I think there's a very real chance, A, he's still in Baltimore, and B, Creed Humphrey's with him. Yeah, the uh, I mean, to, to have Brown, I mean, I... I was just stunned that the Ravens would trade a player like that to, I mean, the team that everyone measures themselves against the AFC in the in the AFC, and then obviously the money they spent on Tooney. But it was quite clear the offensive line was the priority for the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, it's going to look a lot different. Just before we move on from the Chiefs, um, a lot of Canadians are looking forward to seeing Laurent Duvernay-Tardif come back to the club. Uh, will he be a backup? Is he starting? I mean, how do you see him fitting into that Chiefs offensive line? He recovers from this this injury that he suffered about two weeks ago to the broken hand. Um, they're hoping he'll be he'll be ready to go and be active come week one. But he'll be a backup. 
He'll be a backup behind Trey Smith. Look, I think he's the first guard up. If somebody gets hurt, um, he's played a little left guard. He, he can obviously play right guard. Started there when they won the Super Bowl. So I think I think the expectation is he'll be on the team, but he's not going to start as, as they have kind of moved forward here with Tooney at left guard and Smith at right guard. All right, Matt Verder, I'm a fan sided with us, the national NFL reporter. Um, saw today Bruce Arians announced that the champion Buccaneers are 100% vaccinated. And so many of the stories that we've been talking about through training cap, Matt, have been about, you know, players, key players that have been missing time because of being on the COVID list. Pretty impressive that the Bucks to a man are all in on this. How big of a story is this? And and how, how big of a problem is it for some of the other areas in the league where they're having a much harder time getting their team to buy in? Look, if you're the Buccaneers, it's a huge advantage. It is a huge advantage. Any of these teams that are 95, 98, 100%, I mean, that is, look, I get it. You can still catch COVID if you're vaccinated. I think everybody understands that at this point. But you don't have to quarantine for 10 days. Like you you can now sit there and say, all right, look, get a, get two days of consecutive negative tests. You're good. There, there are major issues for some of these teams. You know, we see the Colts who just had to place a whole bunch of guys on the COVID list, disclose contacts. Now they're back. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to go on the on the COVID list if you're a close contact. You, it doesn't matter as long as you as long as you're not testing positive, you're good. I, I think it's going to play a huge role. There will be a couple of games this year where some team has an outbreak, and the NFL is going to say that's nice. See you on Sunday, because with the vaccine now, these teams they got grace last year because nobody could really do anything about it. Right? You had an outbreak, you did the best you could, so on and so forth. We'll move the game. We'll try to we'll try to fit things in. The NFL's not moving a game to Tuesday afternoon this year. That's not going to happen. If you have a COVID outbreak because you're unvaccinated, well, I guess you're going to lose this week. And that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? I think, you know, teams like, and, and if I'm not mistaken, the Chiefs are right up there as well. I mean, we've seen some of these yep. top teams really have a buy in. And then, you know, some of the other teams, I mean, we have a lot of Viking fans around here. I mean, we saw how pissed off Mike Zimmer was at the start of some of the things that he was dealing with. And you just mentioned the Colts situation. We've talked about the Bills before. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see some of these teams that are expecting or hoping to make that, you know, big step forward. I mean, they're worrying about things right now that teams like the Chiefs and Buccaneers simply are not dealing with. Right. And if you're, if you're a team like Indianapolis, you already have a steep enough hill to climb to catch Kansas City to somehow, if you got the Super Bowl, beat Tampa Bay. You you just dealt with Carson Wentz having a foot injury that kept him out basically all of the summer. Same thing with Quentin Nelson. Like you, you have Sam Tevy, who's your left tackle, who's out now with the torn ACL, and your other left tackle also out as he deals with coming back from a torn Achilles, and that was expected with Fisher. But this is. Look, if you're the Colts, if you're another team that's unvaccinated and you're trying to work your way back in, maybe you were a low-rung playoff team last year or you missed the playoffs like Minnesota did, this is crushing. You can't – the NFL 17 games. It's not the NHL where there's 82 games and, hey, if things don't go well for a week, okay, well, we'll recover. Things don't go well in the NFL for one or two weeks. You're done. You're done. I, I think it is a huge deal, and I think it will crop up, unfortunately, multiple times during the season. All right, uh, back to the football on the field. Um, big news today or this week out of Foxborough, Cam Newton gets released. And, you know, some would say maybe he got Wally Pip because he was on that COVID list and Matt Jones got all yeah. that extra time. I mean, I actually sort of believe that. Um, 
But where does Mac, Mac Jones fit in now amongst your hierarchy of these rookie quarterbacks? He was picked behind the other four, but man, what an opportunity he has going in starting for a Bill Belichick-led team. Look, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the class, and I think that was bared out. Look, we've been waiting for him for three years at this point. So I think you've got to give Lawrence that top billing, although I think he's going to have a rough year because they can't block. And I don't think Urban Meyer is going to end up being the head coach in the NFL for very long. So um, I'll say this. I, I think the best situation is Trey Lance, in my opinion, just because of the talent around him and he can kind of sit and wait a little bit. I think the second best is Mac Jones. He's going to New England where they have a very good offensive line. They're going to run the heck out of the football. They have two tight ends who can catch the ball. It's, it's, it's very much a ball control offense. They have a very good defense. He's not going to be forced into throwing the ball like crazy. I mean, if, if you're Jones, this is heaven. Like, it's a, if you can't succeed in this spot, you're not going to succeed. And I think, you know, Zach Wilson gets talked. He's gotten a lot of shine this summer after the way he's played in camp, and, and especially the way he played the preseason games. Zach Wilson's on a team with a defensive-minded head coach, first-year head coach, a 34-year-old offensive coordinator who's never been in that spot, with backup quarterbacks who have never thrown an NFL pass. I mean, look, I'm not saying Zach Wilson's not going to be good, but if he like if he needs a lot of support, he's screwed because they don't have any. There's nobody supporting him in that building. Like, not, I mean, they'll support him in terms of, of, of hey, we want to play well, but there's no there's no quarterback holding a clipboard next to him. When he comes off the field, say, hey, man, look, this is what I saw. I remember that, you know, uh, the Dolphins ran this coverage six years ago, and here's how you got to attack it. Nobody's on the sideline who knows that. There's nobody. If you're Mac Jones, you've got you're Belichick, who's been in the league literally since 1975, and, and you've got you've got McDaniels, who I don't think is a head coach, but he's a very good offensive coordinator. So I, I expect him to play well. And and his, his forte is being accurate, getting the ball out on time. He did that at Alabama. I think he's going to be fine. I, I I don't know if he's going to be great, but I think he's going to be good for New England. And if he's good, they're going to be good. They're not a Super Bowl team, but they, they could be a playoff team. Uh, what about Fields in Chicago? How long do you think it takes for him to take the starters' reins? Week two. I think week two is oh. going to be when Justin Fields gets out of the I just, I mean, first of all, it should be week one, but, and I'm based in Chicago, the, the, the fans are going to lose their minds if he's not on the field sooner rather than later. And I get it. Matt Nagy wants to sit there and say, well, you know what? I said way back when Andy Dalton was our starter and I'm sticking with it. That's great. You're going to be on one and you're going to score six points against the Rams. But that's how this is going to play out. They can't score. And if you look at that, I I get the argument of, well, the offensive line is is terrible and they've got to rebuild it. And and because of that, you can't play field. Fields has mobility. Dalton has no mobility. If they put Andy Dalton behind that line, he's going to get killed. I mean, by hook or by crook, Fields is going to be in there sooner rather than later. Whether it's because Dalton just just can't literally hold up behind that line or they just say, look, we can't watch any more of this. I don't know. But to me, Fields is clearly the more talented player, even if he's not as polished. Yeah, sure, he's going to make mistakes. But if you're the Bears, you're not. It's like you're a Super Bowl team. to, To me, the Niners are different. You don't maybe want to live with the growing pains of Trey Lance this year because they feel like if they're healthy, they could win a Super Bowl. I mean, this team two years ago was seven minutes away from winning it all. I don't know that if you're the Bears, you feel that way because let's be real. Like, I think what is the absolute best case scenario for Chicago? They win nine games and they make the playoffs as a seven seed. It's probably it. It's probably it's pretty much what they did last year. 
So I think I think Fields she's the she's the uh, the gridiron early. Madford, Madford Rama fan sided with us here. You know, while we, we mentioned the Vikings and obviously the Bears uh, situation, uh, what did you make of the song and dance between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers all offseason? And uh, what do we expect? I mean, will this be another team that'll be contending for the NFC Championship on a final year of Aaron and Green Bay? I thought the whole thing was ludicrous throughout the course of the summer. I really did. Um, I, I can honestly say never for one second believed he was ever getting traded. There's no reason for the Packers to trade. Like the second the draft passed, why would you trade him? You would trade him before free agency if you're going to trade him because then all these teams have a ton of money and therefore they can make the move. And of course, that's before the draft. And so they can they can trade draft picks, whatever the case may be. I expect and I've always expected he will play out this year. He will be great. And then we'll get to the offseason. And you're going to literally have a half dozen teams who call up Brian Gutekunst and say, what do you want? What do you want? How many first round picks? How many players? How many picks after the first round? What's it going to take? Yeah, he's older. Who cares? Brady is 44 years old and just trucking. There's no end in sight. So to me, I get the age part of it. But if he goes out, let's just say, let's just say he has a really good year. He throws for you know, 4,300 yards and 38 touchdowns. And who wouldn't want him? He would be an upgrade for 25, 28 teams in the league, even factoring in his age. So I, I never thought they would trade him in June or July. It was pointless. The only teams that would have been involved were maybe Miami, Denver, the Raiders, sure I'm forgetting one. But that you're not going to have a big-time bidding war at that point. Teams can't afford him. Teams don't have their picks. I, I, I always thought that the obvious answer would be that he would play this year. And he's going to play this year. He's going to play in Green Bay. I think the Packers are going to be really good. I think they're going to win 12, 13 games. The other quarterback situation that's been taking up a lot of content over the course of the summer has been what's going on with Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. And this is very different because it's an off-field issue. Uh, Where is that? I I guess part of the question is, how is he not in the commissioner's exempt list right now? And assuming that he doesn't play, does this get resolved this year? And do the Texans win a damn game without Deshaun Watson? So I'll start with the easy part. I think they win a game, but I think like, like literally it might be a game. Like maybe two. Like I saw their over-unders four, and I'm not a gambling man, but I got to tell you, if I was, I would be hitting the under. Heavy. Like real heavy. Um, I don't think he's going to play a game. He's not on the commissioner's exempt list because essentially the NFL has not deemed yet that they have like enough evidence that he's he's been in violation of their their laws. Now, you can quibble with that. I can quibble with that. Um, the reality is he's facing some criminal complaints down in Houston, down in Harris County. The FBI is involved. Now, to, to, to what extent? It's it's unclear because the, the two lawyers have argued about the extent of it, but they're involved. He is facing 22 civil suits for sec- for alleged sexual assault. I mean, this is... This is the kind of stuff that look, there's no there's no criminal penalty with a civil suit. But if, if, if he comes out and settles a bunch of these things, I would have to imagine the NFL is going to go, OK, well, we can't we can't have him trotting out there four weeks later. I mean, that's that's an egregiously bad look. So I do not think he plays this year. I don't know that he plays next year. I, I you know, there have been all this, this, this stuff out there in the news. And, and Charles Robinson, a guy with sports report, a lot of it. Great reporter. Um, that Miami's been interested in. They're the front runner, and Houston's seeking five premium picks. If any team trades Houston 
five premium picks for Deshaun Watson right now, they should be relegated. I mean, I, I just don't understand. You don't know if he's going to be be a free man in a year. You don't know how this is going to play out. You don't know what's going on. And then there's, you know, Robinson also reported, well, there are these, these pick protections these teams are seeking. The NFL is not going to do that. The NFL, do you know what a precedent that would be? If the league said, hey, look, don't worry about what's going on off the field because we'll protect the picks. Like, you would have teams trading for everybody. They're not, there's no way they're going down that, that road. So I don't think he plays. I do think he's in Houston the rest of the year. Um, and I, and I, think, I think this goes on for a while. But the first thing that's got to happen is, is his legal situation's got to be sorted out. To me, that's, that's A number one. That has to happen. Once that happens, then the rest of it can happen. Then maybe league discipline if there is any. That happens. And then these teams know where everything stands. But until then, I just I don't know how you make a trade. I never would be shocked by anything in the NFL, but that would surprise me quite a bit. Uh, Matt, before we go, uh, every year there's a team that falls flat on their face with high expectations and a team that shocks everyone. If you had to uh, identify a team that you think might really surprise teams and a team that's destined to disappoint their fans and their expectations, where are you going? I talked about this team a little bit briefly. I, I, I don't think the Colts are good. I've seen a lot of people say they're a sleeper, they're a contender in the AFC. Compared to who? They're not Kansas City. They're not anywhere near as talented as Cleveland. They're not Buffalo. They're not Baltimore. I don't think they're Tennessee. So, I mean, if you want to make the argument that they're the sixth or seventh best team, I don't even think that. I would take New England. I would take the Chargers. I might take Miami. I could take Pittsburgh. Okay. Carson Wentz was atrocious last year. The man was benched for a month and still led the league in interceptions. I mean, that's it's not great. Like, like everybody acts like he's this huge upgrade over Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is pretty good. It wasn't great, but it's pretty good. Um, I don't trust that. Their line's banged up. I do like their defense, but I don't think it's enough. So I'm out on them. And as far as a team that that could surprise, I like New Orleans. Now, I will admit off the top, Jameis scares the hell out of me. There is absolutely a chance he throws for 35 interceptions. I'm not, I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. But I love the coach. I love the defense. Kamara can run. He can also catch, which should help Winston just to have that security blanket there. They have a very good offensive line. Unfortunately, because of the hurricane down, Hurricane Ida down in New Orleans, they're not going to play week one at home. But now back home with the fans, I think it's a big advantage. They're probably one of the teams that missed out on that the most last year. So, I think New Orleans might be a playoff team. I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl, but I, I would not be shocked if New Orleans wins 10-11 games, wins a playoff game. But it really just relies on Jameis. Can he stop throwing as many picks as he does? Can he cut it down by a third? He does that, I think they make the playoffs. Matt, this was uh, a lot of fun. It's great to talk to you again and have you on in our new home. Thanks so much. And uh, why don't you just tease what uh, you've got cooking up heading into kickoff next week? Anytime, Andrew. And uh, as far as kickoff, look, we uh, we all know next Thursday is, is the first game. So on fan side, we have the NFL season preview on Tuesday. There's going to be fantasy stuff, betting stuff, power rankings, predictions. Uh, there, that my Chiefs piece that we talked about a little bit will be in there as well, if you're curious. And even if you're not a Chiefs fan, look, I think it just shows kind of how teams work through the offseason and, and what goes on in an NFL building. So I hope people will read it. Uh, we will have a t- well, previews on all 32 clubs as well. So you can check that out and, and, and get your fill there. Uh, there's a lot going on. Stack in the box, both my podcast and the column go out Monday morning. Um, no shortage of NFL content for anybody who loves the sport. Matt, it's all great content. Thanks so much for doing this, Matt. Let's catch up during the season and uh, enjoy week one next week. 
Anytime. Take care. Right on. Thanks so much. Give him a follow on Twitter at Matt Vertoram, folks, and check out the work he does on Fansided. Great site. And uh, great to see Matt now, the uh, national NFL writer over at Fansided. Uh, covered the Chiefs in the past. It popped on a number of times with me back in our old home. And great to have him on Winnipeg Sports Talk for the first time today. Um, let's uh, get into Well, speaking of which, we've got the uh, Banjo Bowl coming up in a week's time. But first, it's a Labor Day Classic. Now, when you're at the Banjo Bowl, like every Bomber game, you'll be able to have the great taste of Canadian club whiskey. Uh, whether you're popping by the Brugal Rum Hot or the Jim Beam Stillhouse or anywhere in the stadium, there's always time for the great taste of CC. And I have a feeling there might be a little CC making the trip with Bomber fans out to Regina. Of course, if you're partying on the weekend, do it safely. Have a great time. You don't drink and drive. That goes without saying. Uh, but we certainly have the uh, we we certainly have uh, a pretty great product to get into this beautiful Labor Day long weekend. Uh, make sure to be with us tomorrow. It is a Bomber Road game, so we'll have another I Love Rye package to give away from CC at the end of the YouTube broadcast. And next week, follow us on all of our socials. A big, big exclusive prize from Canadian Club that we'll be doing on a contest heading into the Banjo Bowl. Thanks again to Canadian Club. The good stuff for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, it's Burger Week, folks. Burger Week is fully in effect right now, and three Boston pizzas have three different burgers for you. The C's Burger over at Boston Pizza Keniston it compare, uh, combines Boston Pizza's signature Caesar cocktail and a burger. What a beast that is. The BP Taylor has the jalapeno mac and cheese burger. Really looking forward to trying that one. Might get that one before the show tomorrow. And BP Henderson has the bourbon barbecue bacon burger. Three BPs, three incredible burgers for La Burger Week. Popeye and Seaman, while you're there, check out some of those great cocktails on the summer menu, including the uh, peachy margarita spritz and, of course, the bulldog margarita fishbowl. Um, and a big shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp. I was telling Remus yesterday, I was down at Not taking a little tour as they finished the renovations on the compound. Uh, they've got a Plinko machine and a Papa Shot machine in amongst some of the most beautiful cars that you have ever seen. If you're thinking about getting into a new ride before you do anything, head on down to Not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, and you'll be able to... Uh, Check out all the Teslas. Um, listen, I can't go down all the all the brands, but just some amazing vehicles. They'll get you in a great price, and they'll help you consign your vehicle if you need to move on from the one that you're in right now and get max value for it. Not Autocorp, not.ca. Go see them at Waverly and McGilvery. All right, let's talk some hockey. Uh, always love catching up with Travis Yost. He's got a very interesting piece and a little bit of a different viewpoint on the Saga between the Canes and the Montreal Canadiens and the Yasperi Kokaniemi offer sheet. Uh, let's welcome him in right now from tsn.ca. It's Travis Yost. Travis, what's going on? Hope you've been having a great summer. It's great to talk to you again. How you guys been doing? I've been doing great. How you doing? Uh, doing well. I, I got to tell you, in and around Winnipeg, people are uh, incredibly excited. I mean, it really was about a 48-hour period with the signing of re-signing of Paul Stastny, the trade for Brendan Dillon, and then Nate Schmidt coming over after a call from Paul Stastny has completely um, fired up Jet fans. I mean, I think we talked for a long time about how there's sort of an Achilles heel in this hockey club, and it was that blue line, and especially the top four. And to get those two players come in, I can tell you, Winnipeg fans are excited. What do you think? What did you think about the offseason moves by Kevin Sheveldayoff? 
Yeah, I thought I thought the blue line work was was really key. I, I really don't see how they could have navigated into next season really running it back with the same or similar defensive core look. Um, the other thing I thought that gives Winnipeg a, a little bit of upside here, um, they they acquired Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt's a good player. I thought when Nate Schmidt got moved from Vegas to Vancouver, um, if you remember that, Nate Schmidt had a really rough playoff series um, or playoff stretch with Vegas preceding that trade. He was playing a ton of minutes, but um, I, I think some of the some of the defensive zone miscues and turnovers that were creeping into Schmidt's game um, maybe cooled Vegas a little bit. Vancouver um, obviously paid a, a fair amount to get Schmidt, and I, I thought Nate Schmidt, I mean, clearly he's got years ahead of him, but I also thought he looked back a, a much a much more comfortable player than maybe the tail end of the Vegas period, the Vegas uh, stretch. Brendan Dillon is obviously a very good defensive defenseman and still has mileage left there. If nothing else, they added two players who are second pairing quality at you know caliber in the NHL at this point in their career, um, and that means an awful lot for a Jets team that just had no depth on the back end, right? Like this, this gives you. Two additional bodies, credible on the backside, where you do not necessarily need to worry about what defensive pairing is playing with which, with which forward line nearly as much. I mean that I, I know that sounds a little bit educational, but I mean that was Jets fans know this better than anyone. That that those five man combinations that that the Jets have trotted out over the last couple of years, one of the limiting factors has been the play the defensive the, the play the blue line um, behind that behind that talented forward group. So I, I I think this was a move certainly in the right direction. And and if nothing else, they've added goodness without really disrupting. I think their longer term roster building plans. Like they didn't fork over a massive amount of assets or allocate a ridiculous amount of cap space to get players like Schmidt and Dylan in the lineup full time. So I, I thought that was a tidy bit of work. This is clearly still a talented team. And I think they attacked their biggest weakness and uh, overall more reason to be optimistic than pessimistic right now. Well, for sure. And you know, it was even more interesting to sort of follow uh, Travis in the aftermath of those deals was the free agency period. And I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't see the massive numbers coming to some of the defensemen out there, like a Seth Jones and whatnot. We certainly knew that Dougie Hamilton would get a big ticket, but beyond Dougie Hamilton, there wasn't a lot of high-end quality on the blue line, uh, and the prices were huge. I mean, Derek Forbert goes to Boston, who struggled in the second half of the season playing with Neil Pionk here on a three-year, $3 million deal. Brendan Dillon's making 3.9 for three years. Nate Schmidt's got four or five years left on his deal. It would seem like the Winnipeg Jets not only acquired the players that they needed, but they got players that had signed earlier, so the contracts that they're on make a lot more sense to anything that you would have had to sign on the unrestricted margin in the summer of 2021. In the NHL, there's a first mover advantage and there's a first mover disadvantage. And I would say Winnipeg, along with a couple of other teams, because they moved earlier or made decisions earlier in the process, ended up spending a lot less. Now, we've seen the opposite of that, right? We've seen instances in which being the first mover kind of sets a market number. And if that number is substantially high, everyone anchors to it and rallies to it. Um, or it squeezes out the market and you see cheaper players moved elsewhere. So it can really go in both directions. But Number one, Winnipeg really benefited from moving early. That's clear. Number two, I was similarly surprised. I, there's always been this weird premium on on second pairing types around the league. It certainly seems like it exploded this year. Um, but I, you know, I as as someone who loves you know loves making you know Maple Leafs playoff jokes and Nelson Mandela commentary from time to time, 
Um, like another organization that I think nailed this. And I, I tend to look at these things retroactively um, because I think it does matter in terms of understanding how front offices navigate this stuff, especially when there's a lot of unknowns. The Maple Leafs in the expansion draft, I mean, they caught a lot of flack for, by and large, retaining Justin Hall to, to free up the combination of mechanic or foot. And at the time, I, I thought it was the bad move, right? Like, you've got two quality forwards and a so-so defenseman that you can probably replace in the market. Um, Toronto freed up McCann, goes to Seattle. Um, they keep Justin Hall, who's, you know, been a second, third pairing type for, for limited action in his NHL career, and he's an older player, the type of person we would deem as you know, maybe, maybe a quality player, but still replaceable in the market. Uh, Toronto looks very smart now too, because look at all the premiums that teams had to pay to basically bring in those second, second, third pairing tweener types. Um, so again, I think Winnipeg, Toronto, a couple other teams. We will be getting to Travis's latest piece at tsn.ca. And it's very interesting. Uh, it says Kotkaniemi offer sheet isn't a revenge story. And I'll be the first one to admit I've been sort of maintaining it. I think most people's reaction to the signing, the amount of money that they gave you, Sperry Kotkaniemi, and then of course all the hilarity that ensued on the Kane social media stand uh, from the Kane social media standpoint made people think it exactly was that. But we'll get a different viewpoint from uh, Travis, and in a way maybe only he can do sort of dig into the details of that uh, that deal. Travis, we've got you back. Let's move over to. Uh, the Kotkaniemi signing. Um, you've got a story up right now. Kotkaniemi offer sheet isn't a revenge story. And that is quite contrary to, I think, the, the popular opinion, maybe more so because of what the Canes have been doing on social media than anything else. First off, what was your reaction when you saw the tweet or the notification come up on Saturday that the Canes had done it? And then, of course, everything that followed on their Twitter account. Uh, my first reaction was, wow, this is some all-time trolling from the <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes, which it absolutely is, by the way. Like that, I think the, the – the, and one of the reactions that, you know, at least to this piece, I've gotten two parts. Number one is, oh, yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying. The other piece is clearly this is a revenge story. And it's like, to me, it's not so much – I think Carolina is playing into this. I think Carolina loves – this $20 sign-on bonus, the French press release. Um, they love all this notion and idea that, oh, Carolina is just trying to hem Montreal up. And that's where I differentiate because I think all of that is true up until that last point. I think Carolina is being very strategic here. And there is no doubt about it. Carolina is assuming a lot of risk, giving up a first and a third and a $6 million offer sheet, uh, to say the least, for a player who, although he looks like a very game top nine forward. He's had a lot of challenge scoring at the NHL level, and it's not the player you normally see teams give up first and third round picks. But let me turn this on a dime for a second, right? We consistently, it's one of the biggest criticisms of us, myself included. This is not a, 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 a player in unrestricted free agency that's 32 years old that you're signing for $6 million a year because he was great five years ago. And it's not a straight trade either. Carolina or any other team, and this is really what I've gotten to in the future of offer sheets. The future of offer sheets is not, let's go give Vancouver, you know, let's go give Elias Pettersson an 11 million deal and we'll give four first round picks. It's so punitive based on the compensation tables. The value in the offer sheets were always in that middle range and they're only valuable if you can identify players who have not yet realized their upside. So yes, Carolina is assuming a lot of risk, but Carolina is saying here, 
we absolutely want to bet on this player. Um, and we think he's a lot more than what, what he's shown in Montreal. And I think the other important litmus test here is while simultaneously screaming about how outrageous it is to give this type of player $6 million in a first and a third round pick, I haven't seen Montreal snap accept that offer either. And the reason why is Carolina has made this so particularly difficult for the Canadians front office here, if not because of the, the weakness down the middle of the lineup in the Canadians depth chart, the reality that Montreal also sees a lot of upside in Kokaniemi's game and they have to now grapple with, well, is a first and a third worth betting against this player developing over the next two to three years. And I think if you, and, and by the way, this is the last, last and important point here. It is not a surprise to me. People say, you really think it's a surprise that Carolina offer sheet in Montreal two years ago after the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet? Of course not. Of course there's something to this. But number one, the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet was a disaster. It has worked out beautifully for Carolina. Um, number two, everyone here is saying Kokaniemi is not a $6 million player next year, myself included, right? This is the entire point of the offer sheet. They are trying to steal the future long-term, not just next season. And I think as that narrative shifts and as we start looking at these offer sheets through a more, oh, this is a new market where you're going to bet on the future of the players, not so much the current value of the players. I think it changes the, the lexicon or at least the discussion around what this means. And I think this is a brutally tough decision for Montreal. If you were to hold a gun to my head, I'm probably going to walk and take the first and the third, but it's like 55-45. And I think because of that, I think Carolina found the right price to squeeze Montreal here. Well, absolutely. I mean, if they do match the offer, Travis, I believe even with their LTIR allotment, there'll be $2 million over the cap and you have to move players out. And if you don't bring them back, you know, you've got those picks and you can maybe scrounge something else out on the market utilizing those but you've already lost Phil Deneau. I mean, the center ice position has been decimated by the uh, team that was just in the cup final a couple months ago. Yeah. And, and I think that that's also what makes it a very, a very interesting gambit from Carolina, right? It's because Carolina has identified a player here um, that is on a team that is very weak at that given position, which really heightens the stakes for Montreal to match. Um, and, and Carolina gets nothing if Montreal matches, right? They get absolutely nothing out of this. And I think that's the important part. Carolina thinks Kokaniemi improves their team materially. Whether they're right or wrong remains to be seen right now. And I think there's arguments to both sides. I mean, I can easily make a Kokaniemi is a, one of the most underrated defensive players in the league. At the same time, I can tell you this guy has a phenomenal um, difficulty scoring goals in and of himself. And that's always going to hamper his future earnings. Um, but the idea here is that Carolina found the price, the exact price point where an offer sheet compensation is genuinely being considered. The Sebastian Ajo offer sheet was a joke because it was too conservative. Yeah, I, I'm having a tough time hearing anything from Travis right now. I'm not sure whether this computer or whether it's the phone on the other side. Um, but the, uh, I mean, and he brings back a great point when it comes to the Sebastian Ajo, Ajo contract. I mean, that was a disaster. I mean, it essentially just did all the work for Don Waddell uh, before he was, uh, you know, I mean, they were squeezing a hole and they wanted to get seven or eight years. I totally get that. They only got five. But the fact that Montreal took care of the offer, did the work, signed it up. Thank you very much. He's there and, you know, he'll continue to star. And yeah, it might cost them a little bit more uh, with the lack of a couple more years on the uh, on the end of the deal. But as we've seen with Svechnikov last week with that eight-year deal at $7.75 million, um, you know, they're committed to 
keeping that core together, especially those star young players. And Aho is at the top of the list. Um, what Where this goes, I'm sort of with Travis. I mean, I think, gun to my head, I'm with him. I, I think you probably walk away from this deal and you hope it really doesn't burn you. But I'll tell you what, I mean, the Habs, for having gone all the way to the Stanley Cup final and to be in a position that, you know, I think they really felt that they were on the verge of something with so many talented young players, to be victimized like this after moving on from Deneau, I mean, I think part of the reason why they felt that, you know, they wouldn't go to that number that Deneau was going to get on the open market is because they had a player like Kakaniemi that they did believe in, that they did think was going to be able to take that next step. And as Travis just mentioned, I mean, you just said it himself. I mean, one of the most underrated defensive players in the National Hockey League. Well, what the heck were we talking about Phil Deneau all playoffs? It wasn't scoring, but he's doing a hell of a job of shutting down top players on the other team. Now, whether Kakaniemi is at that level yet, I'm really not sure. Uh, probably not right now, but could he be that going forward? I mean, I think there's the potential for that. And then, you know, for all the issues that he's had scoring goals, man, he had some pretty big playoff goals. And we all remember during those uh, those uh, graphics that they put up and there's Gretzky and Lemieux and, you know, goals scored in the playoffs before I think the age of 21. And, oh, there's Jesperi Kakiniemi. So there's very interesting sides, uh, sides to this. Um, the fact that Carolina did it, there's no doubt that there was a lot of trolling involved. And, there is maybe a little bit of revenge, but I think as Travis pointed out very accurately uh, that, you know, you're basically in a situation where, you know, you can have a little fun and you can get some, you can get some headlines, but more so than anything, they're getting a player that they do believe they've got a very bright future for. And again, there's plenty of reports that while it's $6.1 million right now on the one-year deal, that there's actually more to this. And after January 1st, the Carolina Hurricanes can re-sign him to an extension at a number below 6.1 at a more reasonable AAV going forward. And I've um, got a very talented Finn in Sebastian Ajo that I'm sure he'd love to uh, be playing with. And um, you know, pretty exciting team, and obviously a coach in Rod Brindamore that everyone seems to love playing for. So um, certainly an absolutely fascinating story right now. And you can read that at tsn.ca. Unfortunately, we had got cut off with Travis a little short today, but uh, we'll get him back on the uh, air soon here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. One of my favorite guys to talk to. Uh, that piece again up at tsn.ca. Um, I'll tell you what, we're going to bring Remus back in. We'll get to some uh, notes, some other things to get to. Uh, but right off the bat, want to show to our friends at Little Brown Jug. Hey, if you are making the trip out to the Labor Day Classic, you might want to bring some of that great local Manitoba beer with you so you don't have to be drinking Pilsner with all the melon heads. Uh, of course, you can pick up you can pick up Little Brown Jug at your favorite bottle shop, uh, and you can also pop by to Little Brown Jug on William Avenue and pick it up there. I'd suggest a couple of cases of 1919. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, but you might want to grab uh, maybe a couple cases of the Summer Variety Pack, which includes the Summer Lager, as well as the Hefeweizen and more. Um, and by the way, speaking of the long weekend, if you are in town Saturday night on the patio at Little Brown Jug, they got some live entertainment. DJ Honeycutt, good friend of mine, known him for a long time, absolutely puts on a great show, a very, very fun DJ to get the party going. We'll be live there, uh, no cost, Pop down, maybe meet some friends. It'll be a great part of what should be an awesome long weekend. And don't forget, if you're at the ballpark this week, at 
Craft Beer Corner, Little Brown Jug on tap right up until the 6th of September as the Gold Eyes finish up their run, finally back home at Shaw Park. And shout out to the Fish, man. Walk-off homer last night. What a great scene that was. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, so big thanks to Little Brown Jug. And of course, Assiniboia Downs. We've still got a couple weeks of live racing left, folks. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Next week and the following week, but little uh, but Assiniboia Downs isn't going anywhere, and neither is horse racing. Much like Rebus and I do every day, you can bet on the races both in Winnipeg and around the world at hpibet.com. And if you are betting on the races Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll make some picks. I would fade our picks and listen to the picks of Kirk and Stretch on ASD Live. That gets going about 6.45 every night. Uh, don't forget, Terrace Dining Room still open. You do need reservations. Food's amazing there. And the VLT is open 9 until 12.15 every day out at the track. And a big shout out to our friends at Breezy Bend, sort of finishing up a great summer with them. Uh, looking forward to another great season next year. Check them out, breezybend.ca, if you're looking for a home for your golfing, for your family next year on the course. Uh, it's the Tour Championship right now. And of course, it started off with that staggered start. Pat Cantley was the leader at minus 10. He's even through five holes. He still has the lead. But guess who is coming up on his back? It's John Rom. John Rom's three under. He's minus nine for the tournament right now. He started at minus six. Victor Hovland's had a great first front nine, five under par. He's two strokes back at minus eight. And uh, my guy, Cam Smith, three under par for the round. He's at minus eight. Uh, Tony Finau, my guy, Tony. We need Tony to get it going. Tony's two over. He's now at minus six. Bryson DeChambeau, one over. He's at minus six. Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy also at minus six, uh, but they had very different starting spots. So we'll get through this first round. We got the staggered start. Beyond this, we'll have a leaderboard. We know who's going to be up there, and they're all going for 15 million bucks at the Tour Championship at East Lake in Atlanta. Uh, we're going to get to the cool bet lines in a minute, uh, but let's get Michael Remus back in here. Uh, Remo, interesting takes from uh, Travis Yost, both on the Jets, but also on the Kakaniemi offer sheet, in that he speaks very well to the fact that this is an incredibly difficult decision for the Montreal Canadiens. Sometimes in, in history, we've seen offer sheets where teams know exactly what they're going to do, and they just make the team and the player wait for a week just because. I'm not sure that that's the case right now. I think that this is uh, an excruciating decision that the Montreal Canadiens have to make before Saturday. Yeah, he made a couple of good points, um, and he did text me. I guess uh, his phone uh, died while we were doing it. So I told him, you know, next time we'll just I'll just phone him um, on the, instead of the link. But um, yeah, he made a couple of good points, especially with the Jets going in ahead of all the other teams and getting players and not having to give up, you know, current roster players you know you gave up a couple of draft picks that's fine you didn't really shape your roster and you, and you added so um i like what he said about the jets as far as carolina i think it, i think it's an interesting bet um that carolina is making here you know you offer him a significantly higher salary but you believe he can be worth that in the future and you see a team that's it's going to put them over the salary cap so they're going to have to make some tough decisions and and instead of you know offer sheeting a guy for 11 million where you have to give up some ridiculous a compensation like what four first round picks you find a guy on you know lower middle tier kind of like what uh, Philadelphia just did signing Joel Farabee to a 30 million dollar contract this is kind of like that but you're putting a bit more to put a bit more of a squeeze on Montreal I mean if it's five you know if it's five million I mean do they have probably think about it probably still have to think about it 
but maybe not as much. Six million, I mean, seems like a lot, but as David Pagnotta said yesterday, they seem to have a long-term deal worked out and you maybe pay a premium in year one to steal him. Well, not steal him, but for the first and the third, and then you can get him long-term. This would be a big win for Carolina. And how old is the guy? Is he like 21? Cockney? He's, yeah. he's 21 years old. So former third, third overall pick. Third overall pick. So see, they believe the ceiling is high. And I like this move. And maybe we'll see more, you know, younger guys. If you, you know, you fart around with a 21 year old guy coming off his ELC, um, you know, there could be other teams waiting to play him. And you're up against the salary cap and said, no, you want to sign the guy for a two to $3 million deal. To a two to three million dollar deal, um, another team will come in and pay you know two or three times that for one year, but then try to sign them longer term. For I'm curious if they sign long term, us if the long term deal is like five million a year, more like the Farabee contract. Uh, you know what? I, that's totally what I'm expecting. I'm not even sure. Maybe it gets to five, or maybe the extension is a little mm-hmm. bit under five. But if you add in the six point one for year one, it ends up being in excess of five. Um, and I think Carolina's done a pretty good job in a few cases. Mm-hmm. I still think that the value they got in the Svechnikov deal, when you consider his age, his production, the years that they're buying of his career, um, pretty good. I'll tell you what, yeah. I'd much rather bet on a 21-year-old in Kakaniemi's position than you know paying that sort of money or more to a guy that's 29 or 30 exactly. on the unrestricted free agent market. Well, exactly. And you're seeing the, you know, the NHL guys can become free agents uh, you know, 28, 29, you know, whatever it is, seven years in the league or after 28. Um, and after that, they've already had all their best years. So you might as well just pay them when early, you know, for the future years that are that are good. And you got to lock up these guys younger. And I know players are, we think, you know, traditionally you used to think players prime, you know, 28 to 32. That's not really the case. It's like 22 to 27 are their, uh, are their prime years. The analytics will tell you that. So sure, find a guy and... And you know, make uh, the offer that makes it difficult for the team to uh, to match. And I, I like I, you know, he's kind of turned me around here on this. I used to think Carolina was insane, and I think the and I agree. I think the social media team is separate from the hockey operations. I think this you know this, this seems like they did want the player. They tried to make a trade. It didn't work. Like oh, screw, well screw him. I mean, there is a bit of revenge, but I think the social media team is playing it up. Maybe more, uh, or I, or or I'm totally, or that's not correct at well, all. Well, here's the thing: I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like, do I think Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore are down with all that stuff? Probably not. I don't think that. I mean, they're hockey guys. I don't think that's really the way that they roll. The social media team in, in the Canes has been sort of ahead of the curve the entire time. Incredible content, and I think a lot of that goes to the owner Tom Dundon. And make no mistake about it, this stuff is not happening if they do not have the seal of approval and the thumbs up from the owner. So, I mean, Tom Dundon's making a statement here. And and one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about, we'll get some of the insiders on as we get closer to the upcoming season, as to what the lasting effect of this is. Not between Montreal and Carolina. I mean, that'll be quite clear in a week or so when uh, we find out or on the weekend when they decide to match or not. But if the, I mean, we've barely seen any offer sheets anyways, but does this make, and this entire ordeal, make an NHL GM even less likely to try to go down that route, considering how badly it seemingly was bungled by Mark Bergevin initially and how it's come back to bite them in the ass two years later? Yeah, I see some people in chat saying that Elliot is ta- saying, you know, um, Montreal's poking around with Arizona about trading the first and the third for Christian Dvorak. I haven't, I haven't seen that, but everyone's been 
been speculating that. So if Montreal can, you know, take that first and third and get a player for it, um, you know, that would certainly be an option. Or you match it because you believe in uh, Kokkinami, but then you still have to move other guys to make it work under the cap. So um, they're in a tough, they're in a tough spot. And I think it's well, well, it is a good move by uh, by Carolina if the player becomes, you know, worth the salary that uh, he ends up getting paid. Yeah, and, I mean, and, for for future years, not not for this year. It's clear for year one, it's an overpay. No, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not even close. It's probably three uh, by most uh, by most descriptions. This was in X in about three times more than what he probably would have got if he was yeah. just doing a short term bridge deal, re upping with the Canadians based on what he was doing. Now, this does, you know, this is actually a good time to get to this because there are still a number of RFAs that are out there uh, that haven't signed. And, you know, if you go to the list of remaining RFAs out there, maybe we'll have to go to Vancouver next week because it'd be interesting to see how people are feeling in and around the Canucks in that they just don't have one RFA. They've got two. And Remus, it really reminds me of what the Jets had a couple years back with Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine in the same summer. In a lot of ways, it paralyzed the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they weren't able to make any moves because they knew they had to keep that money to see what it was going to take to get those two players done. They ended up getting them both signed, one long-term, one on a shorter deal. Um, I'll tell you what, to me, the biggest story that hasn't been answered yet is how Jim Benning handles both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, who both need contracts before they step on the ice this fall. Yeah, and a couple of years ago, I was like, Vancouver, they've got no direction. They don't know what they're doing. And then they surprised everyone in the bubble and, you know, made the playoffs and won a round. I was like, ah, you know, maybe this JT Miller trade wasn't bad, but they keep trading first round picks. Uh, I mean, Connor Garland, uh, I think that actually could be could work out for them. But they don't know if they're trying to win now or play uh, play in the future. And they are trying to win now. I guess they are trying to win now, but their roster isn't built to win now. I think that's the bottom line with them. They trade, you know, they finally were able to get out from all of these bad contracts to fourth line players, but then they just package them to Arizona as part of the Connor Garland deal to get OEL for another one, two, three, four, five, six seasons at seven point two six million. I don't think that was a good move. I think you, I don't know, you you did get Garland in it, so that I mean that's a plus. But then you just added more um, bad money, and again they are us ten point six million away from the salary cap. That's how much uh, cap space they have. And they have to sign Quinn Hughes and uh, what's-his-face, uh, Elias Pettersson. Elias. Yeah, they're, well, they're at least $5 million each. At least, I mean, at least that would put you on over short, the cap. On short-term, like, on short-term one-year deals or bridge deals just to get through this season. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how it goes. And here's another, I mean, this team certainly doesn't have anywhere close to the cap issues that the Vancouver Canucks have. But there's a couple pretty impressive Ottawa Senators on that list as well in Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson. And the Kachuk one is the most interesting. And I can't remember who we were talking to last week who did a great job of pointing out the way Craig Oster, um, the Kachuk brothers' agent, positioned Matthew in his extension with the Calgary Flames to that his qualifying offer next year to retain his rights is $9 million. Um, I'm sure Ottawa would love to just throw a check down and get Brady Kachuk signed for the next eight years and eventually throw the C on his chest. I'm not sure that that is going to be able to happen right now. And as far as Batherson goes, 
I mean, maybe their potential to get him done to a long-term deal is more likely. I'm really not sure. But while we focus on those two big dogs out on the West Coast, um, a talented and growing Ottawa Senators team has a couple big question marks mm-hmm. with two very important pieces of their future right now. Yeah, that was Ian Mendez. Uh, last week who uh, gave us some in- yes, insight course, on that, is. who was great. And Ottawa, I mean, we saw them up against the Jets in the first like month or two of the season. I was joking about how bad they were and how they weren't NHL caliber. In the last two months, they were excellent. They were very good. And uh, they finally got some goaltending from Anton Forsberg, who they have back. You know, they have Matt Murray at three more years at 6.25, and that contract looks um, not great. But you do have a number of young forwards, including uh, Tim Stutzla, and uh, Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson. So, I mean, two of those guys are FAs. So we, we will wait and see. But it seems like these are going to come down to the wire. And Ottawa, not as up against the cap. They got 28 mil in cap space. So that's not an issue. I guess it's how much do you want to commit to Brady Kachuk, who's 20, also a 21-year-old player. And he's had you know, he's had a lot, a lot of success, a lot more success than a guy who's 21. Uh, Kotkaniemi just got a 6.1 mil offer sheet. So... Um, that is one to watch too. So these RFAs, there's still a number of them unsigned. Yeah, uh, and you know that kind of will be the story. Um, I, but it's just nice that we're not talking about that story very much here on Winnipeg Sports no. Talk. If there's anything else to talk about right now, because of course Neil Pionk signed, sealed, and delivered for another four seasons, and Andrew Kopp. I mean, the writing was on the wall um, that he was probably going to have to take a one-year deal. Got an offer that you know they felt was more than what they would have gotten arbitration. I think that was a very good move for the Winnipeg Jets to keep things as positive as possible, considering the cap constraints. And um, you know, I, I'm still I still think that it's probably highly likely that Andrew Kopp ends up going to unrestricted free agency. Um, but I will tell you, I'm sure that the team will reach out after January 1st and see where things stand. And um, if it's possible to bring Andrew Kopp back, I think the team would certainly like to do that. If, of course, it works within the framework of where they're going forward, uh, because it was important to note. And we spoke with Andrew on this program, Reem, um, you know, when they got together with the Jets, they were originally suggesting a four or five year extension. Yeah. And he said that, you know, he wanted to get that. But it became clear that as they add all these, you know, pieces, Nate Schmidt, Paul Stasny, Brandon Dillon, I mean, the slice of the pie available, and then Pionk, the place, place, slice of the pie, not pice of the sly, uh, available for cop, just became smaller and smaller, and they kind of realized it, and I mean, I want to say he almost did them a favor by saying, um, look, I'll just take what you have left for me, rather than making a big stink, and he said that, he said he could have, you know, tried to hold out and tried to get traded to get a long-term deal, but... Look, he wants to win. He's going to UFA. Uh, he's one year away from UFA. He could make, you know, there's a lot of potential upside for him, including, you know, again, including the shot of uh, going too far in the playoffs where, you know, a lot more eyeballs will be on you. I mean, you saw with, again, we talked about this before. You saw with the Tampa guys, got Goodrow and Coleman, you know, maybe Cop get something like that next year. I, I don't I don't know if it's going to be in Winnipeg, but it, I think it could be. I mean, Stasny's up next year. Maybe they sign up for that role and give him a long-term deal. Well, so, I, I tell you, I yeah. mean, to me, one of the one of the biggest things that you know we probably don't talk enough about uh, when it comes to Cop's future is Pierre Luc Dubois. Because Dubois on a five million dollar contract this season and needs a deal at the end of next year. <clears throat> Listen, hopefully everything goes great. Dubois established himself as a center for the future of the Winnipeg Jets, and they get a deal done. And I mean, that was why they traded Patrick Laine to get this guy, but it didn't go well last season. Um, there's a lot of pressure on him, I think, to perform and sort of fit in and produce bottom line this season. If that doesn't happen, 
do they sign him long-term or do they sort of reevaluate where they're at? And Dubois still would be a very significant asset on a trade market. Um, and maybe at that point, you know, with Cole Perfetti coming in and Andrew Kopp, you feel like maybe you can have those two players in at a lesser value and then get something back for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So I think there's a lot of options that really are going to play out over the course of this season when it comes to, um, you know, Kopp's future, Dubois' future, and uh, how those two intersect with potentially in the Winnipeg Jets. Speaking of the Jets, we want to get to uh, some of the questions of Murata Tesh's fan poll that you can read in The Athletic. Uh, but I mentioned earlier that Winnipeg police were having a press conference at the beginning of the show today um, regarding a, I believe they referred to it as a historic uh, sexual assault hockey coach. I immediately, when I saw that, I thought maybe this had something to do with Graham James. Uh, but in fact, it is new charges. Uh, police in Winnipeg have charged a 57-year-old man with a number of offenses after two survivors of sexual assault came forward in June of this year. Uh, Constable Danny McKinnon of the WPS today said the two people came forward independently and a search warrant was executed uh, the players reported or the assaults reported to have occurred between 93 and 95 while the survivors were players in the APHA and coached by Robert Bob Donald Joseph Dawson of Winnipeg. Um, the survivors alleged they were separately invited to the suspect's residence where he lived at the time where they were provided money and alcohol and subsequently sexually assaulted. They further reported the incidents had been photographed and videotaped at the time. So, um, this is a horrible story, a very serious story, um, one that, you know, as shocking as it is to hear, unfortunately, we have heard before, um, and I imagine that there's many others that haven't been reported. So um, first things first, I think we got to applaud the courage of the victims to come forward and um, try to get this out there. And I guess the uh, other part is that this investigation is continuing, and I think part of the reason why this was announced publicly today is that they do think that there could be plenty of more victims. So um, listen, thinking about those victims right now, you hate to hear these situations. You'll hope that where we are right now with what hockey organizations have done to move forward past this and not have these sort of things be possible would prevent all this. But unfortunately, uh, that is not necessarily the case, but you have to learn uh, you know, from the horrible things that have happened in the past. And certainly the Graham James is at the top of the list. Uh, but there's more out there. So um, I had to mention that today. It's not really a fun topic to get to, but, um, you know, certainly uh, both the intersection of news and sports in our community needs to be mentioned, Remo. Yeah, you have to mention that. And again, it's horrible um, to read. And I remember reading Jeff Hamilton's story on Graham James. I think it was about this time last year and how, um, you know, emotional of a story it was. And Again, you never want to hear that, and it's it's still crazy crazy to me that um, this stuff happens. And kudos to these uh, these boys or you know men now who came forward. And uh, ooh, I you know I guess it'll help uh, other people you know possibly come forward as well. Um, that is, I mean, it's tough tough to read us and tough to think about what um, these guys are going through. And again, you really got a a feel for that in Jeff Hamilton's uh, "Staying in Our Game" piece, and it is. I mean, you say it's not shocking anymore to hear because you hear we've heard you know the Blackhawk story and and other stories in the past, but even still, I don't know. It's it's oh, it still it, is I mean, it, it always is you know 
shocking that something like this could be allowed well, to I mean, go on. And you as a young father, I mean, I know there's yeah. a lot of people with kids that are playing minor hockey and, and other sports. I mean, this is not unique to hockey. I mean, we've heard horror stories. I mean, the gymnastics history over yeah. at Michigan State is one of the biggest stains, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, North American sports in a long time with the way that was handled. Um, but, you know, it, it is important to get this thing out. Uh, uh, and again, you applaud the courage of these victims um, to, you know, step forward and, you know, demand justice in cases mm-hmm. like this. And as you mentioned, I mean, hopefully that will uh, not only pave the way for other people to get the help that they need if they're dealing with it, um, but also, you know, to hopefully eliminate this going forward. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been a huge focus of hockey organizations really dating back the last couple decades. Uh, and we mentioned these events happened in 93 to 95, but all of this is in the same time we're talking about an investigation of the Chicago Blackhawks which we've talked about plenty on this program, that is, I mean, as shocking as any because it happened to a team in the middle of a Stanley Cup playoff run to professional athletes, not kids. So it's possible it's under the surface right now. And, um, you know, it's not a fun topic, but it's one that certainly mm-hmm. does have to be uh, have to be mentioned. Yeah. Um, just uh, uh, listen, this is not the same topic, uh, but we're talking about the Habs and, of course, a big part of the Habs offseason season was their shocking first-round selection of Logan Mayu, the individual who was <clears throat> involved in um, a, uh, a sex abuse, I believe it was referred to, um, issue back in Sweden when he was playing there during the shutdown. Um, he was scheduled to be playing for the London Knights this year. The OHL has suspended Logan Mayu indefinitely. And uh, here's the uh, here's the quote. Ontario Hockey League Commissioner David Branch today announced that London Knights player Logan Mayu has been suspended indefinitely as a result of an incident that occurred in November 2020 in Sweden while the player was on loan. This violated the league's expectation of the appropriate conduct of an NHL player. <clears throat> Excuse me. The player will have the opportunity to apply for reinstatement to the league on or after January 1st of 2022 a decision regarding reinstatement will be based in part on his context since his re- conduct since his return to Canada and the appropriate treatment counseling mentoring and or education he receives from the date of his decision i mean this was a story that was all over the place in the aftermath of the draft obviously we're not talking about it each and every day Reed, but i was quite interested to see where this goes i mean the habs pledged that they would work with him <clears throat> to make him a better person and have him ready to contribute to the Montreal Canadiens. But man, I mean, the 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 blowback from fans, from sponsors, uh, I think already told them that they made a big mistake. And now this young man that they invested a first round pick in is not even going to be able to play in the Ontario Hockey League for at least the next four months. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. And, you know, when you have a statement prepared about picking a guy who might be controversial, you know, maybe it's grounds to rethink uh, if this is the guy you want to pick. Um, they stood behind him. It's interesting that he can't play in the OHL. I do. It does bring up, you know, remind me of, um, was it last month in the USHL? I think it was tri city. They signed coyotes former, you know, former Co- renounced coyotes draft pick, Mitchell Miller, who was involved in, uh, I think he was bull in a bullying case where he was, bullying and making racist remarks uh, towards a disabled person at his school when he was a teen and really uh, appeared yeah. to the judge that he showed no no remorse. And he went to the USHL now. Um, you know, t- 
I don't know enough about what Logan Mayu has done since, you know, if he's shown remorse, if he's acted appropriately, obviously what he did was, I mean, he got into legal trouble from it. And well, it was disgusting. And, 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 and the yeah. Habs, I mean, the Habs for their part said that, I mean, they realized the blowback and they had to be prepared for it. I mean, it was shocking enough that he was selected after saying, don't pick me. Um, but the fact that they did it in the first round of the draft was, I mean, was it, ugly, ugly night for the National Hockey League, the way that thing ended. And of course, that was the 30th pick. And then the next thing that happened after Mayu was picked and everyone's jaws were on the floor is that Stan Bowman came out looking like the godfather in the WWE flanked by a team of women trying to somehow, well, we joked that they were like human shields for Stan Bowman with what he's under investigation for right now and the Blackhawks organization. So, um, it seemed like this was a big, big whiff by the Montreal Canadiens. Um, it is harming them when it comes to the development of a prospect that they used a first-round pick in. And the PR and the lost trust, I think, of a lot of fans and some of the sponsors um, just you know, will certainly make teams think again about taking a chance on one of these guys that has had some, uh, some significant issues. All right, let's have a little bit fun, though. Uh, let's move on to something far more exciting to talk about, and that's the upcoming Winnipeg Jets season. Reem and our, uh, our pal Murata Tesh has a uh, state of the franchise poll for fans to get to, and kind of neat going through some of these mm-hmm. questions. Of course, folks, you should go and check it out at The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber already, what are you waiting for? Murat is as good as it gets. Um, and I'm going to be very interested to see. I mean, we had some fun with the Sun poll, which was sort of a yay or nay <laughs> poll before. Yeah. Um, but they did, outside of some of the more outlandish choices, uh, you know, give them a raise or fire them. Um, there's a little more nuance to this one. In um, I'm going to get to the second page. A lot of it is just about how you started following hockey and where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second page of the State of the Franchise and I would imagine these results are going to be pretty high right now. How confident are you in the overall direction of the Jets franchise? Uh, you know, this is an interesting one. How do you feel treated by the Jets organization as a fan? I imagine that'll maybe be different from season ticket holders to just average fans. And then, of course, I think the question that will have maybe the biggest upswing over the course of the summer, if you did the same poll at the end of last season as to right now, is how confident are you in Kevin Chevaldeoff as Winnipeg Jets general manager? I think there was a lot of support and a lot of, you know, a lot of confidence that Chevy could get it done. But I think you talk to most Jet fans, and it really feels like he did get it done this season. And that's why people are so much looking forward to training camp and getting this team back on the ice downtown. Yeah, I always like these um, polls. So I'm interested to see what the results are from Marat's poll at The Athletic. But they yeah, talk about Chevy, and I went into this offseason being like, okay, how... How is he going to do this? How is he going to fill? I mean, it's clear, pretty clear they need two defensemen. I mean, are they going to sign anyone? And, you know, what Murad asked about their organization's, you know, strengths and weaknesses in the front office. And in free agency, I said free agency is their biggest weakness. And I don't know if it's necessarily their fault, but it is. I mean, they haven't, they haven't really signed anyone. So, you know, to go out and make trades and give up, you know, minor draft capital, um, I think that's definitely a win. And, I'm pretty confident Shevel Dev looks at a team when they can have a spot to contend or make the playoffs. He goes out and makes moves. Um, you know, Stebniak Talusti back in 2015, the Stasny move, the Kevin Hayes move. I mean, he goes in and fills holes when there's a shot to win. So um, he put them in a real good spot here, and, you know, maybe he'll be making some more moves. So I, definitely my confidence level moved up after. I, w- I didn't know how he was going to grab um, two, two top four defensemen. Uh, like I had no idea. So well, well and it done. Looks, yeah. 
and like we said with Travis Yost, I mean, this is what stands out to me even more about the, you know, the quality of the acquisitions is the contracts and the term on the deal. And, you know, we talked about it with Travis a little while ago. I mean, there is both a benefit and a risk to be, to going first, but in this case, considering what the Jets had to do with not one, but two players to be able to get them into the mix, utilizing the cap space that they had as one of the biggest, you know, weapons. And of course, you know, a few draft picks to add those players without taking anything off the roster. First and foremost was a big win. But the other thing that just, you know, it stood out to me so glaringly, Remus, when the free agency got going on, what was it, the 28th of July, is that if you're getting Brandon Dillon in, for a third or for a $3.9 million on three years, that was that looked really good. It looked a hell of a lot better when Derek Forward was getting three million and Tucker Pullman was getting 10 million over four years, considering the level of upgrade that a player like Brendan Dillon has, with all due respect to those two guys that spent a lot of time on the Jet Blue Line last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we looked at the at the things for uh sorry, the things, the contracts for uh, Poolman and Forber like whoa, and then you look out uh, Schmidt and Dillon. You're like, okay, these are pretty good, uh, pretty good deals, and they all line up with the Jets' window to win. And I, I know Murat has a question about uh, that window because you know the key players, Shafley, Wheeler, Hellbuck, three year, all have three years left on their deals. So we're looking at these three years um, for a shot to to go far in the playoffs. Uh, it's funny comment from Tristan Rivers Music. Good thing Montreal might have an extra first round pick next draft. Yeah, they may very well have that. And uh, WST Hollywood Audio Gremlin, what are you talking about? I was not misbehaving last night at all. Um, I'll tell you what, Reem, uh, let's get to a few more of these questions, though, because uh, it, it is pretty interesting. Um, after the ones that I just mentioned, we also have this. Which of these does Jets management handle best? Free agency, trades, Cap management, drafting, development. And, you know, it's interesting. I guess cap management comes in. I don't know where. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, and this is all part of drafting, developing, and cap management, is how successful they've been in drafting their players and then keeping them here and re-signing them to long-term contracts. And I think everyone realizes that there's some unique challenges in Winnipeg to getting players to come here. But I'll tell you what, if you look at the body of work over 10 years, to me, maybe the most impressive thing is just how many players they've drafted, have come in, have fit in, and have turned into long-term Jets, signing long-term extensions here to stay in Winnipeg. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and you look at the roster, how many players you know came up through the Moose or were Jets draft picks. So I said, I don't know if that's drafting or that's development or it's cap management, but it's all, all of the above as far as what the Jets management handles best so um i mean take your pick there i i wasn't gonna say free agency for that one but i would i guess it's you know, we kind of harp on development for certain players you know who who were high picks and spent the last year uh in the press box but i think as a whole overall body of work when I mean, you have to be excited about the way that it's gone oh for sure and i, mean, I think free agency will always be uh you know, if we're if we're comparing these things, probably sort of at the bottom of the list, because the bottom line is when it comes to free agents, um, you know, the Winnipeg Jets in the past have sort of had to pay a premium to get guys here or have been taking chances on players that, you know, maybe, 
you know, are undervalued or need some sort of a comeback. I mean, I still think, and I know I kind of bring Derek forward up and say, I can't believe the guy's getting 3 million over three or for three years, um, a season in Boston. But I'll tell you what, for the million bucks that they signed him last year, I mean, the fact of the matter is I sure as hell wasn't expecting Derek Forbert to play any top four minutes, never mind a really good first half of the season, I think, where he opened a lot of eyes. We did see the law of diminishing returns, and I think he struggled at times in the second half and in the postseason. But overall, I mean, that was a million dollars well spent when you consider the defensive situation going into last year. The good news is for the Winnipeg Jets is that the situation is so different right now that a Derek Forward probably wouldn't even be close to that situation. And uh, I'm still surprised that we got the money that he did from the Boston Bruins. I'm not going to lie on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Jets identified a guy. I mean, he had success before. He played well and earned himself a nice contract. So uh, the Jets management should probably give themselves a a pat on the back there as we're going through this uh, athletic Jets Jets fan poll. Some good uh, comments in here. Todd Fertani, what up, Todd? I think drafting, scouting the player's character also plays into keeping them long-term. Job well done. And Rob Mahoney, and for the most part, this is true. Uh, no championship is ever won through free agency, a waste of money. The bottom line is if you're spending huge money on the unrestricted free agent market, you're paying a premium for players who certainly by the numbers are probably on the back nine, at least of their prime, if not their career. Um, and that's why the comp- the comparisons of those two deals last year week was so interesting. You had the exact same term and the exact same cost of Svechnikov and Couturier in some ways, Kachuri, I think, was getting some back pay for just how much he outperformed his original contract. And the fact that he got the eight-year term, it's going to keep him probably as a flyer for life. You know, those last couple seasons, how they look, that remains to be seen. Whereas the Canes weren't buying as many unrestricted years. They're buying a number of RFA years, but they're spending the same amount for a number two overall pick that is going to be playing eight years of his prime in Carolina with the Hurricanes. Yeah, that's why I liked uh, I liked that contract too. I mean, yeah, I always think about um, it was the Tampa Bay Rays, who's you know one of the most forward thinking organizations. It was the Evan Longoria contract where they gave him some crazy deal after like he had barely played in the majors. I think it turned out to be a steal for them because he developed into the top prospect. He got paid early, but by the end, I think the contract was worth it for Tampa. And I think hockey's a bit behind. And, you know, in the way the analytics is going, but I think that's part of it, identifying, you know, young talent and locking them up to a deal where at the time might seem like an overpay. And then, um, you know, as it goes, you're like, oh, this actually worked out, uh, I think, for both both sides. All right. A couple more interesting questions from the Jets fan poll that you can see at The Athletic. And I'll very much look forward to Murat's uh, yeah. synopsis of all of this. And yeah. we'll have to get him on, on to talk about it. I'm happy to, yeah, just we can do part of it today and then maybe finish. There's some good stuff at the end, uh, you know, tomorrow we can tackle as well before the long weekend. Yeah, exactly. So here, there's just a three more. And this hand, probably will have the most uh, divergence of answers. Because I think there'll be some consensus on what the team has done well, how excited fans are overall. Uh, but here's where it gets interesting. Which of the, the, how confident are you in Paul Maurice as Winnipeg's head coach? And then which of these does Winnipeg's coaching staff handle best? Tactics, systems, and strategies, optimizing lines, pairings, and matchups, leadership, attitude, and player motivation, public speaking, media, and community work or other. 
And then you've got the same thing on the other side. Which of these does Winnipeg's coaching staff handle worst? And then it moves on to how confident are you in Winnipeg's assistant coaching staff, Compon, Lowry, Huddy, Wade Flaherty, and Matt Prefontaine. And as we all know, Remus, um, the job of a head coach in the National Hockey League anywhere, but especially in a Canadian market, comes with an incredible amount of scrutiny. And considering the roster that the team has, the work that Kevin Sheveldayoff's done, I don't think there's any doubt that now the onus is on the head coach to get the most out of this group. And obviously the players that are in these positions getting paid what they are to go up and, uh, and produce themselves and get this team to the next level and contending in the central division and potentially for a deep playoff run. Yeah. I think the roster, I mean, you said, what's the, I mean, what's the, I think one of the questions later on is yeah. What's the biggest obstacle standing between the jets and the cup. Well, I think the roster is good enough to beat anyone Right now, at least we think, I think it's going to be up to uh, the coaching and maybe management with some tweaks at the deadline, depending on how injuries go, um, you know, to help give them give that extra push that they need. Uh, As far as, yeah, what does Jets uh, coaching staff handle the best? I think we can say it's pretty clear um, as far as handling the best. I think leadership, attitude, motivation, just, you know, here are the, the players. Um, the work ethic, the attitude that they have, but what it takes to win, uh, leadership, and how see, they all seem to get all you know. Ever, it seems to be a very tight room. Um, I I did uh, I did that one. So, uh, and then yeah, we didn't go over what is Jets management handle worst. I, I did touch on. Uh, I thought it was clearly free agency, just the fact they haven't signed signed anyone. And again, I don't think that's their fault, but. I think that's a strength, to be honest with you. I mean, as, as I yeah. said, I'd far well, rather have sorry. players signing I, long-term coming yeah. out of RFA deals than spending huge money on unrestricted free agent so, guys on the first sorry. of July. Actually, you, that's the one we, I was going to say, sorry. It's pro, I, when I say free agency, I mean bringing in UFAs. As far as signing their own RFAs, probably the best, I agree, probably the best in the one of the best in the league. When you look at the deals, you know, you're getting me to look at this in a way that I, I didn't think of. I was assumed free agency. You hear, oh, that's U, that's UFAs. But RFAs, I mean, Morrissey, Ehlers, Shifley, Connor, uh, you know, even oh, Line A. Hellebuck. Uh, yeah, Hell, sorry, Hellebuck. I mean, yeah, signing RFAs probably, and getting them to stay long-term. You're right, us among the best in the league. I would agree. <laughs> Rob Mahoney, what about Jets legend Ole Jokinen? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, the, I things have changed. <laughs> I mean, Oldie came in, they, you know, they had a spot, they needed a guy and they had to overpay to get him here. I mean, Kulikov's another example too. And, you know, I I got a lot of time for Dmitry Kulikov, but I mean, what was he making? I think it was a three-year deal for 13 mil. He was making 4.3 for those years. There were some ups and downs. There was a lot of time lost to injury. Um, And, but again, that's the price of doing business at the beginning of July. And that's not a place where you want to be, frankly, spending a lot of time doing it. Because if you have those needs and you have that money, you're probably not a very good team. Um, so it, it is, uh, and well, and, you know, Paul Stastny, I know Wayne Jones is bringing up Stastny. Yeah. I mean, that re-signing of Stastny at the number, that in a lot of ways started the entire offseason for me, Reem. I mean, you get him in at 3.75. I mean, a significant drop from the 6.5 he was making last year. A number that absolutely works within the construct of the team and where they're going and the cap situation. And then, of course, not only does he help you on the ice, but he picks up the phone and gets Nate Schmidt to say, yeah, I'm in to be a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and then not yeah. I mean, that was agreed. That was the first domino. Okay, Stasny's in. Sees his team as a winner. Then you make some more moves. And again, we talked about Stasny so much. 
his leadership, uh, his playing ability, uh, the respect that he gets. And uh, I know he doesn't wear a letter, but, you know, the way that he speaks to the media, I mean, you get the feeling that he's very highly regarded in the room, has experienced, you know, the big ceremony for the 1,000 game. I mean, so, so well done. That was so awesome. That turned the season around, yeah. to be honest. That game, I mean, yeah. when you think about it, think about where the team was. That game, I think, bringing everyone together, focusing on Paul Stastny, what he's done, and you know, moving past the struggles that they had happened to that point. I mean, I think that was a huge part in getting them back on track and the results they at least had in the first round. Well, we've got two downvotes today. Hey, if you're with us in the YouTube, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button. Could use a few more of those. I don't know who the scoundrels were who gave us the thumbs down today, uh, but I'm not sure. We, we'll get over it. We'll we'll continue to, uh, to move on. Uh, we'll have more of the Jets fan poll coming up tomorrow, I'm sure. Uh, as I said, tomorrow, we're also going to be talking to Matt Larkin from the Hockey News, get his take on the offseason, some of the remaining free agents that are still out there on the RFA side, and the situation for teams like Vancouver and Ottawa right now that definitely remind us of what Winnipeg was in with Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine a couple of years ago. Uh, let's get to the uh, Kubet lines for today, Reem. Uh, we've got a big, big game tonight, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But a quick update on the Canadian football lines for the weekend. Alouettes are now up to seven-point favorites against the Ottawa Red Blacks. I believe we called that when we saw these on Monday. Wasn't sure we'd get there this early, but here we are. Montreal coming off that loss where they didn't look very good at home, losing by 17 to Hamilton. Still a touchdown favorite, laying it on the road against Ottawa. Labor Day Classic was two and a half, jumped yesterday morning, and it's still four and a half points. Bombers getting it on the road. Riders, four and a half point favorites. Total is 43. And if you like the Bombers to win straight up, you can get plus 170, which means if you bet $100, you'd win 170 on that. It would pay you back 270. Argos and Ticats. Uh, wow, I got the Argos at three and a half a couple days ago. That game is now down to two. Hamilton favorite at home. And the Elks and Stampeders, six points is the number. Calgary, the home favorite, as the Elks get back on the field after their COVID timeout and missing last week's game. But what I'm going to be doing tonight, and I would suggest all of you do tonight, is tune in to Sportsnet because Canada is beginning the next stage of the World Cup qualifiers. BMO Field, home of TFC, will be the host uh, building tonight. And Canada is taking on Honduras. This is a huge game. We've seen a little bit of movement in Canada's favor. Minus 182 right now for the home win. A draw. These are regulation uh, numbers. Draw plus 288. And Honduras plus 580. Uh, Remo, this is a massive, massive moment for Canadian soccer. It has been a good 20 plus years since Canada has had an opportunity like they have right now. And it all starts tonight. Imperative that they get a three, a, a good three point result in front of the home fans before heading off to play the United States on Sunday in the next game of this uh, group stage. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in for Canada here. We just watched the women's worlds. We watched uh, Canada's women. Now it's time to get behind the men you talked with Mo yesterday, the best opportunity they've had in a long time. And it's actually going to be on broadcast television where we yes. can watch it. It was um, it was behind, what, one soccer before. And, I mean, great streaming platform for soccer fans, but not everyone has it. You're not going to be grabbing the mainstream you know, person who's flipping the channel. So um, kudos to them for working on a deal that this can be seen 
uh, by as many people as possible. So I'm curious what the numbers are. We did get the full uh, numbers for Canada and U.S. and the gold medal game. I saw that. Oh. I thought it like, hold on, I go, let me pull it. I can pull that up in a sec. But I think Adam Seaborn, our yeah. boy uh, A.S. Uh, He's on that. Cranking out. He's always on it. He's the guy to go to for all of the ratings. Uh, and also... Uh, paying attention to uh, how a lot of the content like we're giving you right now is moving from terrestrial radio to spots like here at Winnipeg here. Sports Talk. So uh, sorry to get off topic, but um, it or was it? Sorry, I, I lost it. I lost it. But there was one other thing I did want to bring up. I don't know. This was in the last bit. Um, Netflix and the PGA Tour producing a docuseries on the upcoming season. It's going to be like the F1 Drive to survive. It's going to focus on a dozen players. Um, so that is that was one thing, Huss. I, I know your friend Dusty, and he's all in on the F one from that. So that's something for to watch. the for the NHL. No, for the PGA Tour. Oh, PGA Tour. Oh, that'll be amazing. Yeah. So I just oh, I, does it does it say who the players are? Um, let me <laughs> let me. That is what I want to know. Give yeah. me Patrick Reed. Give me DeChambeau. <laughs> give yeah. me. Uh, is, I'm sure they'll get Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth in there as well. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I mean, the personalities on the PGA Tour, there's so many different sort of dudes and some great ones, some not so great. I hmm. hope they got a nice mix of all. I'll be all in on that. Yeah, we'll wait and see. So this is actually breaking in like the last like 10 minutes. Sorry, sorry to veer off topic from <laughs> the Canada soccer, to the ratings of the women's worlds, which were very strong. And now we're on the net. Speaking of Netflix, everyone in my timeline is talking about this documentary um, on Netflix, this hockey one. Have you heard about this? So they did, this is like some Netflix untold documentary series. The first one was on the Malice in the Palace, which I watched. It was excellent. Gives you another viewpoint of, you know, Jermaine O'Neal, Meta World Peace, and uh, Jalen Rose, Reggie Miller. Uh, very well done. This one was on some guy who owned some like minor hockey team. Who's seventeen oh, yeah, years old? Yeah, the Danbury old. Thrashers. Dude, I've never even heard of Danbury Thrashers. Are oh you my god, it's an I'm, I'm totally familiar with. This is an amazing okay. story. It was one of the leagues, like the minor leagues, out in the uh, in the East Coast, and these guys that were in the garbage industry. And I mean, the garbage industry, at least in New York, has always been essentially run by gangsters uh, and the mafia. And these guys decided, or I guess the dad decided, that they wanted a hockey team, and I believe he put his son in charge of yes. running it, and they went and they broke every single rule in the book. They hired a whole bunch of the most notorious goons, and they went and beat the hell out of everyone in the league um, and to the point where there was all sorts of criminal accusations around what was going on, and it ended up being a house of cards. But it is an absolutely incredible story. Uh, if you want, just Google Danbury Thrashers. It was in Danbury, Connecticut, where it happened. And uh, yes, I did see that this is coming out, and that will be yeah. a must-see because the story, I believe I first heard about it. I think there was a long read in ESPN. There'll be some stuff on the internet if you want to read up on it. Absolutely bizarre, crazy story. And as someone that spent a fair share of time doing work in minor league hockey, uh, it was extra interesting. Uh, just glad we had some great classy owners here in Manitoba um, when the team was in the IHL into the AHL and not what was happening with the Danbury Thrashers. But it is a notorious hockey story. Well worth your time, both of reading and I imagine checking out this piece that's coming up. Okay, yeah, it's it's out. came out like yesterday or two days ago on Netflix. Crime Untold, Crime and Penalties. 
Um, so I'll I was flipping yeah. around yesterday looking for something to watch. Yeah, and now sorry, that Joe, everyone on my timeline is talking about it, <laughs> Joe did cor- correct me. I think I was saying the Thrashers. It's actually the Trashers, oh, and their logo. Oh. Their logo was a garbage can. I mean, like these guys were in the garbage business. I mean, they weren't hiding okay. anything about it. So I, um, <laughs> I anyways, thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was Thrashers. I've been reading it on my Twitter. No. I thought it was Thrashers. It's actually trashers <laughs> yes, shows what i know thank you thank you for that correction i actually did know that and i don't know maybe just talking about the thrashers for 10 years since they became the winnipeg jets that was a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a thing oh and yeah they did have one of the gretzkys for a little while as well i mean they they spent some they spent some of the garbage money shall we say on players outside the rules of the league uh, crazy crazy story but anyways just back to cool bet for a second tonight it's Canada Honduras that game starts at <laughs> seven o'clock our time uh, and there's three other games in the Concacaf qualification Panama Costa Rica Mexico Jamaica and El Salvador and USA. If you want to get in on those games or get ready for NFL season, we do have that bonus for you. If you use promo code WST at CoolBet.com, you'll get a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first bet. Uh, we got Bianca Andreescu on court later on tonight, which should be great. Um, but no Blue Jays. Big win for the Jays last night. Um, they barely beat the Orioles 5-4. But as we talked about yesterday with our little lock shop boosted parlay, we needed the Orioles to hang within three. They got it done. Now we need Canada over Honduras tonight. And if Canada gets it done, it'll just be up to the Montreal Alouettes to beat the Ottawa Red Blacks coming up on the weekend. Um, should be a good show tomorrow. Reem will uh, get ready for the Labor Day Classic with my pal Dusty. Yes, and I'm going to be having to pour over my uh, my things. And I got to say, well, well done there, Huss. You know, we're talking about the soccer. I completely derailed the conversation to a number of different topics. <laughs> and then you steer it back to the cool bed. And you did make me laugh earlier in the show when you said, um, don't be a melon head and uh, bring <laughs> LBJ to the Labor Day Classic instead yeah. of Pilsner. You know, normally melon head, I would think would be like an insult, but they actually do wear watermelons on their heads. So, I mean, oh, the term of endearment. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> term term of endearment. So, uh, yeah, that would be, yeah, we got to bring over the Manitoba beer if you're going to Saskatchewan. Although I like drinking the occasional Pilsner it reminds me of the movie Fubar. <laughs> Terry and Diener. There'll be a lot of Terry and Deaners in and around the Labor Day Classic. I guarantee you that. That's what yeah. the, C, uh, the, C, uh, the CFL that weekend is all about. Rob Mahoney is Davies back for the game. You better believe it. All the big dogs are back. Uh, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, Kyle Laren, uh players that weren't playing when they had that great result uh, back in the Gold Cup are there right now. It's all hands on deck. This is the best chance we've had in two decades to make the World Cup, and it all starts tonight. You can see that game on Sportsnet. Um, Don't forget, as I mentioned, Dustin Nielsen's coming on tomorrow on the program. A week from tomorrow, myself and Dusty and Cool Bet Chris are going to get together for a live edition of the Lock Shop with uh, Dusty in to call the Banjo Bowl. Uh, I'll let you know potentially tomorrow as to where we're doing that, if not for sure on Thursday, but feel free to stick it in your phone. Seven o'clock next Friday. It's going to sort of be a de facto lock shop and WST meetup. So would love to see some of you out there. 
to hoist a few. Uh, we'll talk about the upcoming week of the NFL, have a few beers, and uh, get ready for the Banjo Bowl the following day. Um, great show today. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, especially Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery. Great to have you guys on board. You can find them at manitobabattery.com or pop down and see them at 1026 Logan Avenue. Of course, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group. Nick, we're looking for you for some burger updates at some point next week as well. Uh, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug. Again, if you're going to Regina, pick it up here. Don't be stuck with the pills that are like the melon heads. Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, and Cool Bet Canada. Thanks again to Matt Verderam and Travis Yost for joining us. Of course, Michael Remus and all of you for making us a part of your day. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock here live on YouTube. Later on the afternoon on the podcast, we'll get you ready for the weekend and the Labor Day Classic and more on the NHL offseason. Folks, thanks for being with us. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 